Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. It is the last recording we have in February. We're going to be spending a lot of time talking about Octopath Traveler 2 today. In order to talk about this game, we've brought on a larger cast than normal for this discussion. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitale. Let me go through who's all here with me today. We have the usual crew. We have Josh Torres. Hi. Hello. We have Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And joining us, we have Colin Black. I guess the real Redemption Reavers were the friends we made along the way. And we have Quentin Hi. O'Connor. Hello. Hello. So, yep, we haven't heard from Colin in a while, and I'm not sure we've had Quentin on a regular episode of our podcast yet. Refresh my memory if you have been, but I'm blanking. But regardless, it's been it's good to have you both on because both of you have had access and to Octopath Traveler 2, and you're here to join us on our discussion of that today. It's not the only new release for this week, but it's probably the, uh, the headliner. So remind me, Cullen, you covered Octopath Traveler 2 and wrote up the review for RPG site, which is up on the site now. Is that correct? I did, yes. And then Quentin, did you cover it for another outlet or did, were you doing guides for another outlet? Yeah, I'm doing guides for the main place that I work, the gamer, but I also wrote a review for it over at Nova Crystallis. No, that's really neat. So yeah, and I do know that I have been able to put just about two hours into it. I saw Chow was playing it late into the evening last night. I think yeah. James might, I think James, hey, Discord was telling me that you were playing Octopath, or at least for idling in it. And then I think James has started it as well. So some of us, you know, are just playing the release version as it came out. Uh, at the time of recording, we're recording this on Saturday. It just came out yesterday, officially. And so some of us are a couple hours in. Some of us have, of course, beaten the game. So we'll have a discussion from all those perspectives as we go into the podcast main body here right now. Yeah, I think um, Adam and I are the only ones who have it, like, launched the game, maybe. I, I have it in my Steam library, and I'll, I'll get around to it eventually. But it is, it is there. Well, so. I remember... I I downloaded the demo because I wanted to get that like three hour head start. And then I just never got around to it. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll delete the demo and just get the full thing now. Yeah, because, you know, I, that's, that's my demo. That's like my demo philosophy these days. Like this point, like like with the whole long demo, it's also it's like, ah, I could maybe start that. But I already have it like pre-ordered on Steam. So I guess there's not really a point to starting it. Oh, uh, this is why I don't play demos because you yeah. know you'll never play it. Because when I get the full game, I just replay it from the start anyway. So my flow isn't messed up. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I dig that. I feel that a lot. Wasn't so they're like they mentioned something about like the Steam demo where the saves don't transfer over or some crap. Where is that? There is an issue with that because of the way the Steam Deck works. It doesn't. If you play the demo exclusively on Steam Deck, you can't exactly transfer it over without messing with settings. Did they mention that like pre-release at all, or did people have to find that on release day? People had to find out on release. Oh, fucking hell. Of course. Yeah, so like, don't play demos. Go That's why you don't, don't ever get a Steam Deck. Don't play shit on Steam Deck. That That's true. <laughs> All right. All right. Loaded to, kick, hand. to kick off the discussion here, so we have a handful of us, everyone here except Josh and Adam, playing or having already played Octopath Traveler 2. Has anyone here who is playing Octopath Traveler 2 not played the, the initial game, the original one? I played the so, original game, but I didn't beat it. You see, okay. yeah, so I'm in a similar boat where I only played like five hours of the original game. Okay. And, and then, go ahead, Colin. I was just going to say, just kind of leading into my general thoughts about 2, the way I know 2 was better is that in Octopath 1, I only got three characters. In Octopath, 
in Octopath 2, I got all the characters. I'm so jealous of all both of you who were like who played the first one and didn't beat it and then got into this one and was like enjoyed it a lot more. So you didn't have to like go through hours of the first one to like or even remember the first one that much. Like, cause, <laughs> like, like personally, people know this about me already, and people have read my review of the first one on the site. Know that like, like, I was generous with it, like because it was very novel at the time of the HD two D visual style, but. For me personally, there were like a lot of flaws about it. I was like, okay, like there's a starting point here. It's clearly flawed, but because of the novel concept of the visuals, I'm willing to like, you know, kind of be okay with that. Because for me, it was like more of like a prototype more than anything. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Like I mentioned it at the, like when they first showed it, it's like, I really hope this the sequel is a lot better than the first one because there, there are like sparks of a good game to me in the first one, but it was just never fully realized. And then Adam, you have also played the first one, is that correct? Yep. All right, so we've all played at least up to three characters in the first one, and then five of the seven of us have at least started the second one. So carrying the discussion here at the start are going to be Colin and Quentin, who have had... Have you both seen credits beat in the game? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so you'll be carrying the, the load of the discussion, then obviously the rest of us will chime in with our comparisons to the first game or as what we've experienced so far, having started the second game. Since Colin was the one that wrote the review for RPG site, I'll start out with him. So obviously, Colin, you've kind of already given the the apparent summary is that when you went to play the first game, it didn't hold your attention. That doesn't seem to be the case for the second game. So just... I guess I'll just say that the stage is yours. You've played this game to completion. You've heard the review on, oh, on the site. Yeah, just uh, so what what does Octopath Traveler two do that made you score it higher than the first and hold your attention and make you want to come and discuss on it on this podcast here? So the thing about Octopath two that's really interesting to me is that on paper it doesn't do a lot different than the first game. So, and this is one thing I will admit I kind of struggled with in conveying in my review because everything it does is pretty much, in my opinion, it's like what Octopath 1 tried to do, but better. Like, it's a lot of small details put in here and there to make the overall experience just a bit more cohesive and like gripping. I think they didn't budge on the formula, they just made it more engaging in a lot of small ways if it's from like writing all the writing of the stories is a bit cleaner a couple gameplay tweaks i was reading like what some friends were saying i think like maybe it's the limit break system i forget what the, the name latent of powers is that what you're talking about i think so the latent like powers are new yeah yeah it's not in the original so it's like little like they took a bunch of they took a bunch of feedback, and all of the changes for Octopath 2 from 1, from what I've heard, are little things. Things that where it's like, by itself, would be like, oh, that's neat. But there's so many little changes and fixes that it just feels like, if you didn't like Octopath 1, I'm not going to guarantee that you'll love Octopath 2, but there's a higher chance that you will, because it's a lot easier to see what Octopath, the Octopath vision is, for lack of a better term. So okay, say yeah, that. like I think I think it's a really fair assessment. Like I I think that's like a really good point that you make. That like, hey, just because you know, like they they did like you said, you they didn't budge in the formula. I'm gonna assume you know you still have their standard like, hey, here are eight characters. You choose their path. Their path. Their their they all have like their own sort of story story going on. I guess we'll talk about story flow later for these characters because that's one of the things I've heard that they really kind of like improved upon in this game for each of them, but. 
like I do like that you mentioned that like hey just because you know there's a lot of praise for it doesn't mean that like you're guaranteed to to, to like it if you dislike the first one like yeah, I think people are very honest when they say hey this is gonna like change your opinion entirely if you like you just dislike the first one like yeah. wholeheartedly like for me like I'm going into it with an open mind like like I said like I don't, there's a lot of this dislike for the first one but I'm willing to like give this a chance and see if if it's if I like if I like it because like you know e- even games that I dislike I'm still willing to like give them a shot and see it in the completion see like what was like the vision that they were going for because like I'm going into this game not only just having played the first one I played like a good chunk of the mobile game as well and I can see the little steps that they've taken not just from the first game to the second game but like from the first game to the mobile game to this game and like what sorts of lessons from that like a lot of the writing chops like that they kind of built up from the first game to this uh, second game like they kind of learned along the way throughout years with the mobile game and like, i think the mo- i think the mobile game really stepped it up not in ter- like in terms of like structure and also story flow in that game as well and and making sure that like it's varied it's engaging it's it's not it's not as uh like somewhat shallow like in the first one because the, the first one had a very 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 rigid structure of like hey you're in this new chapter you're kind of presented with like the the broadly the main co- conflict of this chapter whether it's like a person of interest or like here's this a certain scenario of like this person op- uh, interest oppressing something or someone or some societal body you do some sort of like investigative action like phase in that chapter and then after that investigative phase with like the unique you know talent that you have so you interact with the townsfolk in that town then you get into a transition state of like going to like the quote unquote you know main dungeon of that chapter into boss and then done and then next chapter whether it's a new character or you continue with that character and it's basically the same repeat, narrative repeat flow. eight times yeah repeat four times across eight characters yeah uh, and they i definitely do, go ahead I'm sorry go for it. Go they for definitely it. mix that up a lot more mm-hmm. like i think one of the standouts for me was there's a chapter with agni is mm-hmm. it agni i forget the pronunciation Agnia? already the, the, yeah with the dancer yes where like you go through a whole chapter with to my knowledge like no combat mm-hmm. and no boss and you're just making a group of friends that's awesome and helping them out with a little like performance they put on mm-hmm. yeah. and then you leave cool like it's just, yeah. it makes like especially for this dancer which i like the like the contrast between this game's dancer and octopath one's dancer where it feels like this is a character who could totally have little like fun side like it's not it's a main story quest but like not everything about her journey needs to be grim dark mm-hmm. the game mm-hmm. honestly everybody else is kind of like doing that as is so uh, yeah, that remind, yeah that reminds me of like like you know like uh i forgot the merchant's name in octopath one but like she's a very cheerful a- girl but yeah but she but she always had to have like a boss in every one of her chapters because i don't know because it's an rpg yeah, it's yeah. well the, 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 for, the format that josh was talking about not only is it rigid mechanically but it's rigid narratively because you have to have every story arc has to be cleanly div- divided into four parts every part has to have some goon or antagonist or something that you have combat against culminating in a boss okay, um, i'll get i'll get i'll get to the common ground with you there because i know what you've been been consuming in terms of like lately late in terms of media like you know like the original gundam like double oh. I, I, for, I forgot <laughs> even, in fact, i forgot if you watched like the tv series or, not, or the movies I the the, movie okay the tv series was very monster of the week in that show where like every single episode needed to have like 
some yes. sort of showdown, you know, because of course they were selling robots. Zeta was the same way. Yeah. So I, I did get that experience. Like I watched the movies, which I'm going to go back and watch the shows at some point. And for mm-hmm. those who we are talking about the original Gundam 0079, but yes. Yeah, so the movie trilogy was a, I think a cleaner way for a newcomer to get into those. And then I proceeded to get that experience anyway with Ideon and then Zeta, which uh-huh. were the two things that the creator of Gundam worked on after that, where it is every episode is, even if it doesn't make sense, we have to have a <laughs> conflict. So yes. there's a new cool robot so we could sell people toys. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that that hurts. I'm not going to talk about this too much. You got me going on Gundam. I've been, <laughs> I think between the last episode I joined and this episode, I've just become a huge Gundam head. It's bad. You'll love to we, see we, it. We, we talked about the double O movie last time you were on, I think. Uh, I, I remember the IDI series. I remember there's this one episode that was very, very stupid. They were like trying to surrender. So they put a white flag into their base. <laughs> and they're like, you know what the white flag means? It means you want to fucking genocide them or some shit. Yeah, it's, like, it's a declaration of war <laughs> to get rid of the flag. Anyways, yes. I, I had. I do want to loop uh, Quinton to get their thoughts on the game as well, because they've obviously played through it for their review and guide work on the other outlets. So, Quinton, I don't know if you felt similarly to Colin and Josh about the first game and and how it compares to the second game. So just what, what are your thoughts on Octopath Traveler 2 at a high level? Yeah, it's interesting. I would say that Octopath Traveler 2 retroactively makes me like the first game a little less. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay. Because, you know, it's not that I was blind to its flaws. It was more that I was, I think, like a lot of folks, just kind of entranced with with the visuals, with with the with the audio, with just, you know, it's just it's totally understandable why people love that, you know, like especially on like a presentation side, like it it was like it was one of the best OSTs of that year easily, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was just so novel that going into this one and then kind of seeing what that team can do obviously you know with with your knowledge in mind josh about how the mobile game has really stepped that team up to the plate and and brought all these things in you know but from i guess my perspective as someone who hasn't played the mobile game so much more just like seems like out of the blue all of a sudden the, the writing's crisper there's there's a lot less repetition involved even though if i'm to like zoom out like really zoom out and think okay can i still say that the core loop is the same between the first and the second games it's kind of like what cullen said like these these incremental improvements that just add up and add up and add up because in a sense i sort of can and so that's why the whole time i was playing i was like i know that i like this more than the first game i'm curious to see if people who didn't really care for the first game are actually going to be on board with 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 this one, because I still see so much of the DNA of the first game. It's just, again, you know, like you said, Colin, it's everything has stepped, you know, one, two, three stages or whatever. There are um, a lot of small things you just wouldn't yeah. notice. And it's so hard to describe to someone unless you really get deep into systems and like spend a lot of time breaking down every single thing that would change and all the numbers. But that's not really the kind of guy I am. So I look at this and I just go, oh, it's better. Yeah, yeah. You know, like at the end of the day, like, you know, especially with reviews, like it's really how you feel about it as a whole. You know, you don't have to like break down every single like system, subsystem, you know, every single little like detailed thing to like be like, okay, this is exactly why I like or dislike it and why you should like or dislike it too. It's like, it's really just, you know, all about vibes, you know, like really all about how does it make you, you don't have to be like super 
super like deep into like why it makes you feel that it's just like i don't know it just feels good man like yeah. <laughs> i think the best way to describe it it's like Mega man sequels it's like okay. why is Mega man 2 so much better than Mega man 1 you know people always say Mega man was a trash tier game but Mega man 2 is like the god tier game it's like yeah. gameplay wise it's like it's not much different yeah exactly but but you can but like when you you knew like like get your hands on the controller and you start like controlling Mega Man and you start platforming. You see like level design. It's like it's not, those aren't things that like really go through your head as like you're playing. You're just like this just feels somehow better to play. And you can't you can't really pin it on why. But you know once you really take down you know spent like if you really want to do the math of like going sailing down or hours like okay the level design was better in this aspect. The bosses were like more well rounded in this aspect. Actually the path of like the more the logic in between bosses you know et cetera et cetera. It's like yeah you could do that, but it's way easier to say it was just fucking better, dude. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is is that Octopath Traveler Two is the Mega Man Two of JRPGs. Ooh, I, mean, I have a question. Yeah, maybe you, you were talking earlier about like the structure. So one thing about the original game, its structure and its formulaic kind of approach to it, we were you were talking about how kind of every all the flow between every story was about this pretty much the same. So a very common element of the original game was like you'd go to a town and there was a lot of towns and they basically all looked the same. And you like kind of like the intro to their chapter of the story. And then you would go to some cave or some dungeon and the dungeons in the original game were all basically like horseshoe shaped where you would just kind of start at one end. It's a straight path. There's like maybe a branch off or off to the side for like a chest in a dead end. And then you leave the cave at the other end or whatever. So like, how does Octopath 2 handle like, like dungeon areas, like combat zones? I know it's got like the paths in between the cities, you know, like that sort of structural flow. That's an open question to anyone. I'll pick I'll up on it first, at least. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say I'm early on. I've, so I'm only a couple hours in. So anything I got to say has got to be caveated with I have really, really fresh green eyes. So far, the the individual dungeons seem to still be kind of horseshoe shaped. I've only, yeah. but I've only seen two. But like the order you do them, it's it feels less formulaic as you approach them. And yeah. like like when I get, when I went to the field, I ch- I chose Throne as my character because I like to steal stuff. And I went out to the field and I was exploring the the overworld map, and it's it's organized in a very similar way where the, each each area has like a recommended level but like right away i could see areas that were like well above my level like oh this this path says recommended level 16 and i'm level 8 i shouldn't be here oh but there's a chest there maybe i can run in and steal that real quick and leave and then even though it's kind of a very specific add-on they and they they marketed this the canoe system or the game doesn't really explain this like narrative wise and i don't think they have to but if you see a dock going down into the water, you can just go there and you'll jump into a canoe. Every character has one and just explore. And it's just can a way I, of making something about the canoes. Sure. They're adorable. They are They're adorable. Great. But the thing is, the, what they allow you to do is they, they give the overworld just, and it's it's one of those things that it's individually, it's not much like, like Colin was saying, but it's just enough to just elevate it just that little bit where now that you have the canoes, you have you can have bridges. You can go back underneath where you've already been to find a path mm-hmm. that oh that's how I go there. Or you can go to a, a map over, get on the canoe, and go back the other way and find a chest. You jump off okay. of that a little bit. I feel like a lot of that stuff is what adds it. What that builds up to the most for someone like me is that it makes the open world a lot more fun to traverse, and that's the biggest thing for me that makes this like tower over the original. The world of Octopath Traveler Two is very good. 
I was one other thing about the open world that I just almost forgot to mention is that obviously Octopath Traveler 2 has the day night system, which is not novel. Tons of games have a day night system, but like you can switch it instantly with Bunnit. You can switch it instantly. And this is a very, very early quest. So this is just selling you the idea. And I think it worked. A very early quest outside of Throne's starting city is a person got their belongings stolen by a thief. And same thing with Ochet. She has, she encounters the same dude. Same thing for Oswald. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe this is a tutorial quest then. Why don't we do this? What is everyone's starting character? Throne. Throne. Oswald. What was yours, Chad? What was yours, Chad? Or Shed. Uh, Oswald. Oh, Shed is the uh, the hunter. Huntress. Oh, hold on. Wait, wait. Chow. What? What voice language do you have this game on? Japanese. Fucking knew it. I, that, once I heard that, I was like, I knew why you fucking chose Chad. I got Aya Hirano first because that's why. Or Shed. It's my first one. Then I went straight for Oswald because he was voiced by George Naka. And <laughs> 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 then. Uh, Harvey is voiced by Koyasu. Like, okay, it's Dio. It's the obvious villain, right? Well, yeah, I, I, I just had to. I just had to. Really good. I don't know if I'm going to play in English and Japanese. They, they seem both really, really, very, very, very good. So I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. Is there any character who speaks like Hennet? No. <laughs> Thank goodness. I think they learned their lesson on that. Oh, yeah, dude. Man, that's a really good question. Because I was like, oh, shit, that's right. Immediately <laughs> okay, <laughs> realize. Here, here's another question. If you, you started with, oh, shit, did you pick the jackal? I, I'm sure like 99% of the players picked the owl. Mahina. I did, yes. I picked the <laughs> owl. <laughs> okay, so unless this is spoilers, like, what, what are you talking about in terms of like picking an animal? Okay, as soon as the okay. prologue starts, they add, like, master ask her pick an animal it's like you can pick these are very rare creatures it's like this is a, there's an owl and there's a jackal and you only get a picking one it's a permanent companion yes uh, it's like it's one or the other you can't there won't be a, eventually well i mean you don't have to spoil if it's eventually right. the other one's gonna come but it feels like you're picking your starter pokemon like uh, I, okay. okay and that and that uh that companion is an active like participant in her story yeah Oh man! That's a so story. like it talks to you, and they have separate voices. I believe. Yeah, I think so. Oh. oh, interesting. That's yeah. This game sounds fascinating. Yeah, that's. I guess my my question right now is like, all right, we're, we're talking a lot about the writing, the characters, but another one of Alcapath's strong points that we discussed earlier was the music. So I gotta know well, how's the OST looking for this game? Aces, aces, ace. It's, it's just good. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. That's the crazy. I was going to say, you know, my friend never played this game before. I show him this game, and he's like, are you playing RO? What's R- RO? I, <laughs> I need to be told. Holy shit. Dude, that's crazy. I I don't know. I can't tell if that's a compliment or an insult right now from you, because, like, RO OST is very, very memorable and catchy, but I don't know if, like, I have to, like, listen to it again and see, like, if it's, like, quote-unquote good. It's very memorable because you listen to it a lot when you play that game. And I was like using Oshet, and she had the owl as her companion. So it was like it's like the RO hunter, right? With bad. Uh, like, okay, does it like actually does that like that sort of like a interest like similar musical motifs to that? Well, the motif, the music maybe, but it was a two D two point five D sprites, you know. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Oh, graphic minds of right. RO. Yeah. <laughs> any any like. Well, you don't have to talk about like the the context of the scenes, but like, are there like memorable tracks that you guys like like? Specifically, like, remember, be like, wow, that was like a really high point of the game because of this track. I wouldn't know what any of the tracks are 
called? Yeah, yeah, but like, but are there just like moments in it that it's like, like, holy shit, like the music really elevated like this moment of the game. A lot of Hikari's, I think, goes really hard in the music, which works because his whole thing is about like, you know, it's the without getting too much into it, it's like that whole like warrior redemption story. I noticed that, like, when they are previewing tracks, like, a lot of, like, the Hikari stuff that they've previewed is, like, it, it's very heavy on the drums, very, it's very loud and uh, somewhat, like, boisterous almost. Like, it's a very, it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of reminds you of, like, like, almost a Three Kingdoms era style, like, kind of Roman romanticization of, like, the musical motif. And that's what I picked up from it. Actually, I was thinking Three Kingdoms the whole time. And and that's Uh, one of the neat things. It feels like I don't know how much the original game did this, but it feels like all of the characters for their stories have like unique tones to the the music that's made for them. Like, I think all of the like, I remember moments of all these different stories. And I remember like how there's just completely unique score for all of them. Like, mm. like I was thinking of Casty's music and how it's completely different than something like Throne's, whereas like Throne's music has a lot of like seedy underbelly. Like it feels like there's like a game parlor aesthetic to a lot of like the tracks. I think I think they did that in the first game too because I remember like Tressa had a lot more like wind flute sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, the, yeah. The first game, like they all had like very unique musical motifs for okay. protagonists, but I think there's like more variation in this one depending on like like certain like phases of battle, certain like like I guess we're gonna get into it soon, but like especially when it comes to like different variations depending on time of day. Because another thing in this game that like they really put out and that's like you know a big difference of the first game is like there's a day and night system in this game. It's not to say a day and night cycle because you can. In the just in the press of a, of a button, just like flip between day and night, and I guess that's what I was gonna like segue into in a bit because like a lot of the first game, obviously for a lot of people, as we mentioned earlier, is like that was kind of where HD two D was born from. Like there's very experimental its visuals, seeing how people would take to it, and like you know it's a new style, it's a very novel to everyone. But now that we're a few years into HD two D, we've seen several titles do it. We've seen the mobile game for Octopath do it. Seen it for the Live Alive remake. We've seen it for Triangle Strategy. We've seen it for what else am I missing? There's like one other title I'm missing. Dragon Quest Three. But you know, but when they when going into Octopath Traveler Two, they weren't like sort. They weren't going into it to like reinvent the wheel or make a the new graphical style. But they wanted to show people like you know the evolution of HD 2D, and they wanted to like at least build upon it with like you know everything they've learned along the way. It's kind of like this kind of mixture of like. It's been a while now. We want to show to people like really what what we've learned along the way with HD two D. So, and that's and that's like a, one of the big key things of the day and night cycles. Like in, on a whim, you know, just in the press of a button without interrupting gameplay, they're shifting whole entire lighting systems within the, this HD two D engine. So, just like in general, what do you guys think about the visuals of the game? Of the day I, I want to grab this comment. I have a comment. Yeah, Adam um, first. Uh, so I was watching Brian's stream. He was playing Throne's first chapter. Well, first, before I talk about that, in the original game, um, it, the, the, the visual style was very, like, static in the sense that everything kind of looked the same from city to city, place to place. And also, like, the camera angle was almost always, like, at the same, you know, like, vantage point, if that makes sense. Yeah, and um, a lot of people, like, you know, like, mentioned, like, the, the, the vignette style as well was kind of distracting because of the... Yeah, and the post-processing, there was, yes. like... Yeah, 
there's like an almost like an oval like shaped you mm-hmm. know window that you were looking well through. that's what he's refer- that's what josh is referring to with the vignette yeah. vignetting yeah, exactly i was just extra- i was just uh oh okay you know yeah. on josh, what josh has said but anyways i was watching brian play throne's first chapter and there's a scene with throne and another character on like a balcony and first of all it's raining so there's like this rain effect that looks pretty nice the pixel art looks great with like the wet brickwork the wet brickwork on the on the on the ground and then in the background there were like the city lights but they were like foggy yeah. because because it's like a depth like of field this, bokeh type yeah, of there's a depth of field there's mist in the air it's rainy it's cloudy and like it's a visual style the color palette is very different than anything you've seen in the first game and also you know just from day and night and even from screenshots that i've seen when covering the news for this game like clearly they have a lot more variety and just like how places can look in this engine. So it seems really, really, you know, in it's been three or four years since Octopath and they've kind of, they've stepped up what they can do with the, with the style. Okay. So I, there, there's several people that wanted to chime in. Let's go with Colin first on, the, on, on this, on the, on the, in the, in the topic of visuals, Colin. Oh, I, yeah, you kind of got everything I was going to go for. It's just like, uh, I, it's very difficult to be cynical about HD 2D anymore because the mm-hmm. last couple outings have been so impressive and you can really tell they've learned a lot mm-hmm. in just terms of like color palette, lighting. And also I played this on Switch. I kind of wish I had played it on PC, not because the Switch version was bad, but because this game at a much higher resolution just sounds like an absolute treat. I might oh, yeah. do a, a full replay mm-hmm. on PC at some point. Did anyone here know. play the original on PC, or did we all play it on Switch? I played it on Switch. I played on Switch. I yeah, played it on Switch as well. It's, it's a huge it's setup. It's definitely fascinating, though. That this is the first HD 2D game that's been available on like PC day and date with Switch, and I guess PS5 too. Like apparently that version is 4K 60, so it's like it is. Yeah, I still can't get over that Octopath one isn't on PlayStation, but it is on. It was on Xbox. Octopath <laughs> two is not on Xbox. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Quentin, like, uh, did you have anything to, to add into the visuals for this game? Yeah, I'll just say I, I broadly agree that the first game, uh, once you've seen a few towns, you've, you've kind of seen pretty much everything it has to offer. Whereas in the sequel, part of my excitement exploring the world was just I can't wait to see what the next city looks like. And considering I, I think that there are certainly more settlements in two than there were in one, and one was already not lacking in that regard. I think it's it's a testament to all the hard work that they've done throughout their projects to perfect this engine. Every single place looks great. Some places have more distinct memories of at night or at day, you know, because they pop out more one way or the other. But I mean, that's to be understand, you know, understood. And then there are places like this garden. I won't get into it too in depth, but there's this there's this place for one of the characters' stories, a dungeon where you're going through like a trellis garden and during the daytime you can kind of see that it's like got one of those like you know famous like garden mazes things with the hedges and then at night the lighting is just i don't know what they do about this place but it's unlike any other place in the game and it's just ridiculously pretty and i'm glad that i played it on ps5 personally because Uh, okay holy crap two two questions one of the day and night cycle when when, you know when you press the button when you press the button obviously like like it doesn't just like do it instantaneously. You see, like the time of day progressing into like the next uh, phase of the like. A, like I'm kind of interested to see like what your guys' thoughts like are on that because I think it's a really fascinating effect they do where they kind of simulate like kind of like 
passage of day and time very rapidly to like show that like you're here now in the day or in the night i think this is like a really really cool effect i was wondering like can you like move at all throughout that that, that whole segment or is it like you have to be static for that to like take I think effect you can move it's instant yeah well well it's like two it's like a two second transition or maybe like a one and a half second so it's not mm-hmm. it's not like it's it's not so instant where it feels like you're turning a light switch on and off so it has so just someone's enough already complaining on steam about it they're like this is unrealistic like wow. Well, I, I actually appreciate that they learned that like okay, this is this is a game. It can have like mechanisms that don't need to be explained, like the canoe. Like why does Throne have a yeah. canoe? I don't. Sometimes games get too, I think, caught up with does this make narrative sense or is it mm-hmm. fun? And I know there's a lot of nuance to that, but the game was just like, yep, you have a canoe. Yep, you can change the time of day because that's our vision. And if you kind of go back on something that Cullen said way earlier, I'm glad that they took the feedback to the original game and they didn't just go back to the drawing board. They didn't upend the table. They're just like, oh, nope, this is a game where it's going to be eight independent stories. We heard the complaints, and or maybe not complaints, but just the criticism that, you know, People want more interaction. They want it to be less formulaic. Because I saw some people saying like, well, why can't the first game just have the party interact like a normal JRPG party? It's like, well, there's other games that do that. This game is trying something different. We have a vision. We're going to tweak it rather than upend it. And then talking... I'm glad glad they didn't just like, let's just make this game like every other JRPG. Yeah. Yeah. I I talk about that specifically in my review as well. And uh, where it's like, I'm seeing a lot of people say like, oh, well, they didn't make the game what I wanted it to be. So it's a bad sequel, like just from reading reviews. And it's like, I don't know how to tell you this. There are a billion RPGs on the market with linear plot focused progression, like (laughs) where you just get your whole party and you go through town by town by town and a fake open world, like a fake world map of where you're really just going in a linear path and you're doing all these beats in order. Octopath is gameplay focused at its heart. And I I think, I think it's like, it's kind of fair for people like, Hey, they, they, they were hoping that like the sequel, the follow up would address their problem. Like, you know, their issues of the first one, not to say that like, the dev, like the dev team should like bend oh, to the yeah. or anything. Not, yeah. like, it's, it's totally fine that like you know some people are disappointed. To, like, it's, and we're not saying you, know, you have to like it, but I'm just no. I appreciate that the, that the developers like yeah you can say like okay I've se- I've tried Octo One they've tweaked it I tried Octo Two the format's not for me and that's fine but I'm glad that the developers are like oh nope this is what we want to make you know we want to provide something yeah. that's just a little bit a little bit different and on the on the conversation of visuals and then I'll hand it back off to you Colin I know we got a lot yeah, of people sorry. in this chat in this chat room is when we were talking about how when Quentin was mentioning the the, the variety and the locations and the, the night and day differences, it's kind of like, I feel like we're going into what Quentin said earlier about how appreciating the first game less. Like the first game was not ugly. Well, I guess some people would say it's ugly, but at the same time, as soon as that first game came out or was first being marketed, people were immediately jumping on, imagine Chrono Trigger in this art style. Imagine Final Fantasy VI in this art style. Like it wasn't, you know, it presented itself well, but then you just look at Octo 2 and now we're looking back on it with like whatever the opposite of rose tinted glasses are. Like, man, that first game was really quite bland and samey. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but we're, we're still coming at a time where it's like, it's, it, it kind of did like a really funny, ironic thing where like we now, we're, the, uh, the sequel is now released after like we got a Live Alive remake that d- adopted this HD2D style. And, you know, Live Alive was a direct inspiration of the first game creating it. So it's like, it's kind of, we've kind of gone full circle on that in a really funny, weird way. And then, and you know, that Live Alive looked fucking cra- crazy good in the HD2D, the way they like, re- like revitalized that game and really, like, that, that game really popped with like the variety of its storylines and scenarios under this graphical engine that, that kind of showed another side to this engine that like wasn't really seen in other, you know, 
previous projects with it. I, I guess my other quick question before uh, on the visuals before you know everything got out of line. Like like my other quick question on it was like when in the day and night cycle stuff. Like can you do it like anywhere? Like like even in the roads like in between the towns or only in towns? Everywhere. Anywhere. Okay. Even in dungeons, which is really funny. <laughs> like if you're in a cave, you could still do it. Yeah, okay. Change. Uh, like. I- I want to say real quick, my favorite thing about the the swapping between day and night, and I think anyone else, like it sounds like all of us here who really appreciate the soundtrack to the first game will also dig this, is one of my favorite little like nonsensical things that I did a billion times throughout the game was I would swap between the day and night while running around in, in towns, in routes, you know, anywhere where there's any sort of change, which is most places. And you listen to the to the music change, but it, it shifts um delicately I, I there's there's a there's a correct musical term for this it's escaping me but the way that it just kind of flows from the daytime theme let's say to the nighttime theme after i press r2 on the ps5 controller so i got a real kick out of listening to like the you know the bombastic swing sound of this city going into the you know and kind of going back and forth and i mean to me that's testament again mm-hmm. great soundtrack that i just i was like a kid the candy shop doing that whole yeah I, i'm really I something I like, you know, I can't wait to actually do too is like, you know, like hearing the transition of like the the like the made version to the night version and seeing like how the symphony kind of transitions over in between those two styles because they're the, like I hear they're two distinct unique music themes. So I'm just seeing like like how the bridge to uh, to each other. Yeah. Well, that uh, was something they exhibited so. in the first game as they transitioned over to boss fights from yeah. the, from. The, but anyway, Colin, a bit back, you wanted to state something and we crowded you out. Do you remember what uh, you <laughs> forget a little bit what I was going to talk about? Uh, just because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, if it was any like, like we were kind of on the topic of like, like certain people's expectations of this game and yeah, kind of like why okay. they they were, you know, kind of, some of them are bummed out. You know, understandably so because you know, so it's like a lot of people have their own expectations, of, like are their own image of like what their ideal game well uh, they want it to be, right? And yeah, and I don't think you're like necessarily at fault if you're disappointed that like and like you don't have to like this game. Like I think. Opinions on this game could lay anywhere on the rating scale, and I'd be like, that makes sense. It is super like what you look for in an RPG will depend how much you like this game. I think one of the important things that made the Octopath formula click for me was I became a Saga fan. (laughs) And if you're into Saga games, you should check this out because I feel like there's enough going on here where you'll probably appreciate what it's doing compared to a lot of modern games on the market right now. But I. I do think it's commendable that when getting the chance to make a sequel, they could have easily made this the game that a lot of people complained about and said they wanted, but instead they opted to make like they did what they did again, but they tried to just make those people understand more what they were doing because there is like more character interaction. Like there's a lot of like, party chat going on during those main stories so it doesn't feel like okay okay so so here here's here's the so this is about one of my one of my concerns like leading up to release and i was wondering how it's going to shake out because one of the things they really one of the first things they really mentioned in this game is like hey there's gonna be like these crossover story chapters so like like in my head like i wasn't sure how they were going to implement this because i'm because i was thinking okay we'll do maybe chapter one of chapter two of a character x character and then maybe chapter one chapter two Y character, and then I I was assuming once you fulfill those requirements, you unlock this crossover chapter of character X and character Y, and then like they'll acknowledge each other's existence and hang out and do whatever yeah. 
That's thing they'll do. And, and then, and then after that, like, do they like diverge again and like, like, do not acknowledge each other's existence again until like another crossover chapter? Like, I'm not sure exactly how that system works. You kind of got it. It's interesting because I wouldn't really even consider it's like they don't acknowledge each other's existence. I more so just kind of take it as it's like those characters don't really need to weigh in. Like I'm thinking about a version of Octopath 2 where you get all your characters and then everyone feels the need to chime in on everyone else's stories. Mm -hmm. That sounds terrible. It sounds like it's a version of like, I think this game that people want is that, and that's not like every chapter in Octopath 2 can be done in about an hour or two. Uh, Well, I, I'm just thinking because, like, like remember, like, I don't know if you ever saw this in the first Octopath, but in, in Octopath 1, like, it got into, like, really weird points, like, especially with the thief character. And, like, a lot of his story was, like, oh, I work alone. I'm, like, going to go after this. It's, like, hard for you to trust ever, anyone ever again. And then, like, in the first, like, one first se- chapter or second chapter, like, you know, he like, there are, like, other people trying to recruit him or, like, or, like, Chavis, like, say, hey, let me help you or let me do this or whatever and then he's like no i work alone i work alone but they, when it's like, like raid like right raid like a mansion of like someone bad or something like he just had randomly had like you know the other octopath one characters with him and i was like for no reason because like that's the game how the game was designed so like they, they technically never eat acknowledge each other's existence they're just kind of there right and that, that's because that's because the narrative because that's because the narrative craft that the narrative is crafted in a way that like was directly felt directly contradictory to what was going on because of the game's design, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they avoided that. Okay. It's a very easy thing to do. You just don't write characters like that. Exactly. That's the thing, right? Like, like, like even Throne, who is distant from everybody else, still is not written in a way where she doesn't like, I don't need help. I don't like I work alone. It's just Throne is a bit less hesitant to open herself up to everyone else. And again, now correct me if I'm wrong, this is just something I've heard. Isn't it like party chat moments weren't they only accessible in the bars i believe the, so they were only in the taverns, taverns like like yeah they were like one or two liners to each other like it was okay. very 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 brief so that's still like the one or two liners thing is kind of still a thing but now they happen in the stories themselves like a traditional okay. like a tales of like skit segment okay okay Again, so, like, so there's, there's a little bit there just, like, just a tiny bit more which might be like okay all right it's another one of those things where it's just like a tiny tweak where it's like yeah the party chat is fundamentally the same but the fact that they just pulled it out of the tavern is just a little turning the knob I and they make it, it relevant like, yeah this, this, this like, it's very easy to turn the top knob the other way to the max where it's like it's just too much like I know we bring it up a lot, but like, you know, it's very common, a very common trope, like in like saying the a series like Trails, where like every single party member has to chime in on like before a boss encounter of like we we have like 30 people here, they all have to do like one line before the boss battle starts. And it's, can we can we get this going? I have a immediate <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like this is this is an aside, but I was watching Brian play Fire Emblem Engage and he was playing the final level, and then like mm-hmm. as soon as all the characters start doing their like Got to say my one line here. Yeah, just start, like mashing through it. Like, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah, and that would probably work if that game had like better characters. <laughs> Maybe. Like when I played, it's a very, very common trope. No, yeah. yeah, I like it in Fire Emblem in the Fire Emblem games in which I like the cast. Like when that happened in Echoes, I, I sat through all of them because I was like, yeah, this is this is so raw, this is so based, <laughs> and yeah, I can imagine engage. I'll be like, all right, pick it up. 
Well, uh, like, yeah. in, engage one one tiny tangent on engage. Like, I love the final level. Like, it's design, it's challenge. I really enjoy that. But I, I skip through all the dialogues. Like, I don't care about anything you have to say. I just want to fight this dragon thing, whatever it was. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to just kind of like wrap up the little thing about like the party chat. The party chat, the way they've changed it, is a direct response to a lot of the cri- criticism that the characters don't chime in, and it is literally just you. You do an important little cutscene in that character's chapter, someone will comment on it, and then the protagonist will then respond to that. And it's yeah. a totally little optional thing, but it adds a lot because, yeah, the character will be like, hey, that was kind of weird, or, oh, I see why you did that. I think it's just like the little tiny acknowledgement that the, like, someone, someone else exists in, in that scene, you know, which might, you know, a little goes a long way in that. And they said, they still have the bar stuff too, but again, they kind of stepped it up, you know, to the play a little bit more. As you get further into the game, I've noticed. I don't know what the what the qualifiers are for this sort of thing to to trigger offhand, but I started getting stuff where like three people instead of two would be talking, and they'd actually have like a full conversation. Like skits were like, oh, insert character here is you know deep in his cups, and the other one's trying to help him, and the other one's like trying to make a commotion and that sort of thing. So like full fledged just stuff was going on, and it was just you know totally optional, easy to easy to miss. You're not missing anything huge, but it adds a little bit more weight to the cast. Um, yeah, I use like a silly real world example. It's like. Let's say me, Colin, Brian, and Quentin went to a basketball game, and then it's just like we're we're all cheering on for like the same team in it. Of course, we're gonna like, even if it's like, even if we're not like talking about the game as it's happening, we're still saying holy shit to each other when like something big happens instead of just like just just celebrating on our own, not even like you know acknowledging that we have other people to enjoy the moment with, you know, and that it's just like even if it's like this just little things like damn that was dope. You know, it's like you're not having a meaningful conversation. Just at least you're just enjoying the moment together. Yeah. I do want to make one other comment just on the visuals. I know we kind of moved past that, but we talked about how Live Alive really. I'm Colin and Quinton were here on the podcast. We talked about it, but I spoke to how well that game looks. And prior to that, I talked about how much I didn't like Triangle Strategy because Triangle Strategy was still it's still a good looking game, but they hadn't quite, I think, dialed in the post-processing effects on mm-hmm. on how that looks. So Adam talked about uh, the cutscene at the very beginning of Throne's story where they're on the rooftop and it's got like the depth of field effect. And depth of field typically in a game is something I just kind of turn off like without thinking about it. But sometimes I think you need a little bit more nuance in that. In this game, you don't have the option to turn off the depth of field, at least not inherently. Maybe you can mess with settings in the back end. I don't know. But... In Triangle Strategy, there is this scene early on where there's two characters in like different corners of a room. And as the camera pans between them, the other gets out of focus and they're Mm. in the same room. It's like this is turned up way too high. Like there is no reason why the guy in the back of the room should be a blurry smidge (laughs) compared (laughs) to the guy in the front of the room. However, in in Live Alive, it felt like it was toned way down. And then in Octopath 2, so far, it's toned way down where it mm. makes sense. Like, okay, those are skyscrapers in the background, like, you know, hundreds of feet away. So they're going to be blurry and then that's fine. Or I'm in a cathedral at the stop at the starting of Temenos' chapter and you're in a very long corridor. And only when you first enter is the back wall at the far, far end of the screen blurry and it comes into focus really quickly. Okay, so the, so again, it's like one of those things where they just tweaked it. Like, no, we really like having this like diorama foreground, you know, background depth of field effect. 
but we're going to just dial it in a little bit, make it look a little bit cleaner. And I think just the the outcome, if you're all or nothing and you just hate depth of field, just unilaterally, it's still there. But I do feel like it's implemented just a lot more smartly. I think that's uh, like a weird growing pain for like smaller indie companies, like to to kind of adopt that mentality because like, you know, I talked about Wandering Sword a few weeks back, like the the, the, the Chinese RPG that has mm-hmm. that, that HE2D thing. And like the depth of field is like cranked up way too high on it. Like there's a lot of like, just there's a lot of blurry like background things that are like not that far far away but it's still very blurry it's like it's just one of those weird like growing pains of like look i know you're you're chasing after what uh, what octopath one did but you need to like not just you must not pay attention to the weird depth of field shit that that game did (laughs) please i believe in you don't do that (laughs) and even the vignetting effect you guys talked about it's still there but it's just a lot more subtle it doesn't look like you're looking through a viewport of a submarine or something it's just very very the the color gets slightly darker on the very fringes of the screen where almost where it's almost where you don't notice it which is exactly what you want it to be go go for it Colin. i was gonna say immediate first impression on this was that like and again i am very I'm not shy about it. I'm the Switch guy. I like playing all my games on my Switch. Hell One yeah. thing I did appreciate about Triangle Strategy initially was, thank God I can turn all that shit off. It is. It was so nice to turn off all those garish post-processing effects. And when I boot up Octopath, and this is interesting to hear that you can't on PC either, is that there weren't like any graphics options. So initially, I was like, that sucks. That's a downgrade. And then as I play, I realize, no, yeah, these are all made with intent and they're crafted better. Like they use all of these post-processing effects with subtlety to enhance scenes where it's like, I don't want them off because they're done well now. (laughs) And it really just goes to show it's like, that really feels like the whole design ethos of the game. We're not changing everything. We're sticking to our guns. We're taking feedback and we're making it work better. there There are, there are settings on the PC version. I haven't quite looked to see exactly how they're binned. Like there might be just like a general toggle for like quality setting that might also affect it. I'll double check here. I'll put it up in the background. I just didn't see an option specifically for depth of field or for vignetting, but they might be binned under another more generic heading. I'll have to double check. I have a question. It's more gameplay related. Obviously, this still do has the same like break and boost system that the the first game did, where like each enemy has like a certain like weaknesses, but they're all like. They're all in question marks until like you get the certain weapon type or spell to like mm-hmm. show that like hey you're bringing down this number. Once you bring down this number, you break them. They're stunned for a turn, and then they also take way more da- damage coming at them. So one of the you know weird things about the first Octopath, and I, I I don't know if they rectified like this or not to some extent, but like in the first Octopath, there was like a very big problem of like hey you're kind of like doing wasting well not wasting but like you're kind of taking. Four, like three to four turns, sometimes five turns to like kind of get this number down, and then your your whole big payload damage is only like focused in like one or maybe two turns. But like it just had like that certain like flow to combat where like you you feel like you weren't really doing much damage until like one big big turn, and then you have to go through that process all over again of feel like you feeling like you're doing inky dinky damage until one big payload. So did they ever? Is this more of the same in the sequel, or did they like? The, find ways to kind of like rectify the flow of battle where it feels like you're kind of at least having more windows of opportunity to dish out damage. I think the latent power system helps with that a little bit. The first two characters that I've had, as far as I'm at, is Throne and Temenos. And both of their latent powers interact with that system a bit. 
Verona can act twice in a turn, so basically you can deplete their their shield faster. And Temenos yeah. can deplete the shield even if they don't have the proper weapon. Okay. okay. Yeah, Temenos is is interesting because on paper it's it's not that most of the latent powers are like these hugely flashy ideas, but it's like perhaps the least flashy of all, and yet handily one of my favorites because if you have several BP idle points kind of like you know docked with him and ready to go but the boss isn't broken yet you can activate that latent power and then just have him thwack with his staff like four or even five times and and shatter through five of those shields doing extra damage as a result but also getting you faster to that point so I would say like yes and no no in the sense that that same loop is still kind of there but yes in Kind of like what Brian just said, like everybody sort of has their own ways now to either expedite it or work around it so that you still feel like you're doing a little bit more than you did before. So like latent powers, like is there a new system? Are they like, do they consume a certain resource? How do you actually activate these latent powers? You fill your meter break. They're kind of like limit break, but they're toned down a bit. They're not super flashy. Like, well, at least where I'm at in the game, maybe they get flashier later, but like throwing ice latent power is she acts twice. Which so it's not like it's not like a giant limit break or overdrive or summon, but it's just like a, a little boost that you get. It's a meter that you fill. I believe it's whenever you take damage or whenever you break an enemy, and it I fills think, re- fills relatively quickly. Go ahead. For another example, I think like Partitios is that he just maxes all of his BP. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then okay. if you get his class far enough, you can combine that with one of his skills where he gives BP. Yep. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So the, okay. So they 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 are finding ways to like you know, ve- giving you more options to like build up resources and stuff, like keep the flow of combat you know somewhat consistent and like you can vary it up like because of these latent powers and like and, and then whatever other modifiers you can use to uh, synergize with them. Yeah. Forgive me for being a little off topic on on that for just a second, but yeah was thinking about this and it just reminded me about one of my low-key favorite things about the game which is everybody has it seems a lot more incidental battle dialogue now for doing things that don't automatically you know fit their job class per se so like when you're equipping like a secondary class everybody has very character specific little dialogue quirks and stuff and i was just remembering with partitios because i remember when you do what Cullen was just saying, and I was I was kind of like I had his lines stuck in my brain. And I remember that I as a secondary class for a long time, I've had him as a cleric. Mm-hmm. He casts his healing spell. He says to the party, and I quote, salvation's on discount today, partners. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. Ridiculous. But everybody has that, which is nice. Yeah, it's a very stupid thing. But you reminded me because I've been playing a lot of theater them lately but like squall whenever he's the leader of the party and like you go into a battle stage he's his dialogue is i can't dance yeah. <laughs> like god damn it <laughs> that's 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 really good so yeah i mean that's uh, that that sounds interesting what are the main things that like i was i thought dead to rights they would bring into the sequel from the mobile game was the was the dual party system not dual party, but like in the mobile game, you can bring up to eight characters in battle, and like each of the four, you can have them tag out with like a backline character in that game. So like you can like you can have them like synergize with each other. There's like abilities that like like 
enhanced people in the back line or in the front line. And like I thought that was like a really interesting system. I was like, oh, it feels that feels like a system that they would like introduce in the sequel or bring back in the sequel. But it like but they showed that like, hey, we're still bringing there's still only four characters in battle. I was like, wow, really? I I thought that that dual system from the mobile game was like they were gonna bring that into the into the full that, mainline game. That you, seems uh, like Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to okay. chime in because that seems like something where like the Octopath 2 and the mobile game probably started dev around the same time. And they were like, they maybe were like, they, they just did their own separate things. You see this often with like game design nowadays where mm-hmm. like, I think this was big with the Persona spinoffs that just recently happened where you could tell that Royal and Strikers were developed at the same time. So ideas could not really flow into one another and be shared. Also, mm-hmm. it's very it's very probable that Fire Emblem Engage and Three Houses overlapped a lot of development time too. Right. Yeah. So I imagine if this sells well enough to make an Octopath Three, we're that seems like something we're pr- we're probably going to see. Yeah. And, very slightly. That's that's probably as much as as I should say. They dabble. With, they kind of flirt with it at one point. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I imagine you're saying. I think I think they they toy with it at one point, but that's it. Yeah. Okay, okay. To pull out an old topic thread, I pulled up my PC version of the game. They have the rendering options binned, like post processing, low, high, highest, and effects, low, high, highest. So I don't know like what Bloom or Depth of Field or Vignetting is binned in. It might be binned in one or both of those, but very generic options. Mm. So you might be able to tweak it out uh, if if you really don't like the depth of field. Maybe turn post processing to low, and it might and it might. And I'll, I'll, I will I will leave it up to the Steam discussion forums. If they find it, they find it. If they don't, they don't. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's a that's basically my uh, how I see it. But I mean, I think that's for me. That's kind of you had you had a lot of the talking points of Octopath too that I was interested in. I was wondering well, what else you guys wanted to. Yeah, we're an hour yeah, in. We've talked about the the story, the graphics, the soundtrack, the, the differences between this and the first game. We even got in a little bit of discussion about the differences between this and the mobile game. We talked a little bit about the the story and how it is just cleaner and presented better and just even just in English voice acted a little bit better. I will say that like Throne's f- first story bit is a little bit cliche, but I found myself like it was still put together well enough that I didn't mind it. And then especially, without spoiling it, I really liked how Temenos' story opened up. Really mm-hmm. kind of clever, quite fun. I don't I wouldn't want to say more than that because it would ruin it, but it's, it's just fun and, and cool and different. Yes. Say that again? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just remembering the character from, from Temenos, uh, the, the sidekick guy, when, you, when, when you're saying it. Temenos has that sidekick character from, right from the game, GIF. I don't think Brian's there yet. Oh, is it? I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Well, then just ignore that outburst completely. Oh, all right. <laughs> but no, Temenos' intro chapter is very fun. Yeah. Temenos himself breaks a good amount of cliches, I feel. At least that's what I thought. Where he, Temenos- he's the cleric, but just for, for those listening, Temenos was a cleric. And he honestly had kind of the most like boring marketing intro, but yeah, I've, I've been enjoying him too. He's, he is not what you would expect from him, and it's a lot of fun. It is. Well, I'm sure we will have other opportunities to talk about Octopath as more people get to it, as more people get further into it. Obviously, we'll have people playing it maybe on different consoles and, you know, as we go into the later months of the year. But we've been talking about it for an hour, and I do appreciate that we were able to get both Colin and Quentin on board to discuss their time with the game since they had had a chance to cover it for, their, for the different outlets. So yeah, we are... Yeah, of course. 
we're going to go on to a another game that came out in the last i believe in the last couple of weeks and this is one that we had talked about having a few people really interested in based on the pedigree of the developer and the game i'm talking about is redemption reapers now before i continue on to there Colin and or Quentin, did either of you have to uh, step out now that we've concluded with the Octopath Traveler 2 talk for now? I don't have to step out per se, but I will probably step back from talking about this because I have not yet played it. I am going to hop out since I uh, did have some plans already, but again, it was really great to be here and I look forward to doing it again sometime. No, of course. And thank you for uh, providing oh. an hour of your time to, to talk about Octopath with us. Yeah, of course. Have a great See weekend. You. Yep, you too. Yeah, take care, Quentin. See, I'm I'm hanging out for our game three discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So into our game two discussion, like I introduced, it is Redemption Reapers. We have talked about this game as being a, a game from the minds of a few Fire Emblem veterans. And with this discussion, I'm going to hand the game off, the topic off over to Adam, who has had a chance to play through it. Okay. So Redemption Reapers released three days ago on... Uh- PC, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4. Yeah, need something? No, I was just I was just saying at the time of recording, we're recording this on Saturday the 25th. Awesome. Right. So earlier this week. And so this game, if you're not familiar with it, it's developed and published. It's published by Binary Haze Interactive and developed by AdBloom. They are the publisher developer team behind Ender Lilies, which is a a side-scroller Metrovania-type game that released a few years ago. That was generally really well-received, and I think sold nearly a million copies. Now, this game is obviously a very different type of game. It is a strategy RPG, and one second here. I, I know I, I do this every week. It's helmed by the one of the directors of the Fire Emblem series, who did level design on Thracia 776. It did, was the director of... Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, and also did some work on Fire Emblem Fates. Let me get his name here. His name is Masayuki Horikawa. So there's a Fire Emblem pedigree to this game, and it also has the writer of some Metal Gear Solid titles, as well as the composer to Bayonetta, and also some other Fire Emblem titles. So it's got a really strong pedigree behind this game. Now, I've beaten the game. I actually just beat it earlier today. It is not a Fire Emblem clone. So I know there's a handful of games out there where it just kind of feels like, I like Fire Emblem, so I'm going to make my own. There are small parts of this game that do remind me of like Path of Radiance or Thracia, but it's not, it's structured quite differently from a Fire Emblem game. Um, I guess I don't normally start out like this, but what is the first thing you want to hear about this game? Where is it on a scale from Diofield Chronicle to Final Fantasy? Okay, that's actually a good that's actually a good starting point because in ways this game does feel like a Diofield Chronicle. But I was not, not expecting way. to talk about Diofield. Oh my god! god. I, I saw this and it was like the of Diofield continues. So the way this reminds me of Diofield is not not at all in how it plays because it plays completely differently. If you heard our podcast or read my review. For Dio Field, you know, it's more like almost like a real-time strategy game than, a, than a, like a grid-based tactical RPG. But the way that it reminds me of Dio Field is that this is not a well-rounded game. It is not a game that I think will have wide appeal. It has a very narrow design, game design to it that I think is very opinionated and very sharp, and it'd be very easy to fall off one side or the other of it. And uh, uh, the first half of this game or the first third of this game 
is very oppressive against the player in the sense that, first of all, let me say, you only get five characters. There are only five characters in the game, and you're facing off against, like, 20, 25, 30 enemies in a map. And this game, uh, its healing is very hard to come by, money is very hard to come by, and your weapons do degrade. And so, like, dealing with your sort of uh, weapon management and, and durability is something you kind of ha- always have to keep at the forefront of your mind as you're playing through this game. And so it's it's not at all friendly to the player, to me, as I'm playing through this. You have to be very careful. You have to minimize the damage you take. And uh, you also have to... So this game... Are there difficulty uh, settings, to, or did you just... You know, is it, well, there's a hard mode that comes when you beat the game, but okay. first time through, just one difficulty. And it's pretty tough, at least early on. And so the thing with this game, one of the key gameplay mechanics to it is that characters can follow up each other if they're like in the right position. So you have a couple of characters who are basically like close range fighters. Like the main character's name is Sarah. She wields two daggers and she has to be right next to an enemy to attack him. There's another character named Luff who uses a spear, but he can attack from two places away. There's also a character named Karin who is a bow wielder and that they can attack from like four spaces away. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is that a key gameplay component and probably like the singular key gameplay component to this game is how characters can follow up attacks from each other. And so when you're facing off against all these enemies, you have to be like very efficient in how you and how you proceed and like what order your characters act in, who they attack and where they position themselves. Because unlike Fire Emblem, where you kind of like move and then you attack and then you're you're done for most characters, you can't move again. In this game, you can move, attack and then move again. Mm, okay, interesting. Um, so, so it's actually very important to be not only to know who are you going to attack on this turn, but where are you going to, where are you going to place your character after they're done? And the reason why that's important is you need to maximize all the targets and attacks you can possibly get to take out enemies as efficiently as possible, because you have to, or else you're going to take too many hits and take too much damage. And then. Like I said, early on in this game, healing is very hard to come by. The only way you can heal starting out is each character basically has a vulnerary, like from Fire Emblem. It's like it replenishes after every battle. So it's not like a consumable, but you can only you get one per battle. And once you use it, you're done. There are early on in the game, there are no healers. There's no healing staff or anything. You get your one kind of patch up and that's it. And it's very easy when you're taking on like 20, 30 enemies to get that one patch up. And then you get hit again. You're like, well, shoot, now I can't heal. So it's the type of game where I could see people bouncing off this immediately because it's not easy. It's definitely not deal field in that sense. And it sounds like Fiarsa so and so. Yes, that game exactly. Exactly. There are small ways in which this game does feel like Thracia, and which is again, you know, grounded in the sense that the person who led this game was, I believe, a designer on Thracia. And so there are small ways in which it reminds me of that. Uh, it's. I don't think it comes together like greatly. I think it's interesting that it is kind of that it does kind of balance into the, itself in sort of this strange way. But it, at least going into this game, you have to kind of be aware of that. It's. It's not. It's the type of game where you feel like you are struggling <laughs> as you play it. As you go through the game, you do eventually get some more ways to heal. You eventually get more ways to get money, so you can repair weapons a little bit more easily rather than having to like. I actually found this is going to sound stupid as hell, but I actually found so you get a couple of different weapons that you can use. 
they're similar to like Fire Emblem, where you get like your Iron Sword, your Steel Sword, your Silver Sword. And I actually found when you have a weapon that's broken, it doesn't do as much damage, but it's still usable. And I actually found, you know what? I'm going to keep this weapon broken and still use it as a like, Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use it as sort of like my pickoff weapon. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like if you only need to do a sliver of damage, because it's basically as damaged as it's going to get. You're not going to waste any more money repairing it. I'm just like, I'm just going to keep this weapon broken and use it as sort of like, oh, this character's enemy has only four health left. Sure, I can pick that off with this broken dagger. It's uh, like two, 200 IQ I, move. I don't know if that's the intention, but that's what I ended up doing. Hey, uh, you got to use what you got, you know? Yeah. You got a um, stick, you got a stick. So it does, there's also, so this game is structured for like the first five chapters or so, like A Path of Radiance, where you go from chapter to chapter in a linear progression. There are other things that are sort of Path of Radiance-like, where you get, depending on how well you do at the previous mission, you get, uh, I forget what they call it, party EXP, I think, which is basically like bonus EXP in Path of Radiance, where you can kind of just spend it on your characters at base. So you get EXP in battle, of course, but then you kind of get like a secondary pool, which is sort of useful to have like, hey, this character is maybe falling behind a little bit. So let me kind of boost them up once or twice, you know, with this bonus EXP I got. So that reminds me of Path of Radiance in that sense. But after around like chapter five or six or so, you do, you do unlock skirmishes. Skirmishes are kind of like a early on it's almost like a double-edged sword because like i'm gonna do this skirmish and maybe get some experience but i'm gonna wear away my weapons if i do this and you can't get a lot of money so like if i do this skirmish i'll get some exp but my weapons are going to be even worse shape than when uh, I some, yeah sometimes you might be worse off than you read, yeah. uh, than read going in that's interesting and there is a skirmish where you there's a skirmish relatively early on maybe like chapter eight or nine where you where you can earn a bronze ingot from it, which you can sell for a whole hundred and fifty gold, which Let's is go. Not, which is not <laughs> a lot. But I actually found myself like so poor, needy. I need this one hundred and fifty gold. But oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go through this level trying to get it. I'm gonna have to spend like a hundred of that gold just to repair the weapons that I that I used up trying to get it. So I come out fifty gold more richer than I was. But that's the type of game it is. At least in the first half, you you like are really working within your means. And then the game actually does a really, well, maybe not really, but a notably interesting thing at this point. This is a very light gameplay spoiler, but after around, I think it's like chapter 14 or so, which is like the halfway point, your characters end up going on the run for a while. And then when you're on the run, you cannot skirmish. And if you're in a situation where you end up, you enter this section of the game and you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of weapons because they're broken or whatnot, they're low under ability. You have have to do like five chapters in a row without the ability to skirmish. And what that means is you cannot get any more EXP or money than what those levels, basically those five levels offer you. Because of course, if you're in, you know, in a narrative sense, if you are on the run, you're not going to go out and like, let's go fight some random dudes over here for some money. But that means you're kind of like really limited in what like your resources in that point. And at the end of that, you kind of, at the end of this, section of the game you kind of reach like a safe haven temporarily where your skirmishes are unlocked again and at that point it's almost like a palpable like relief like thank god we got away oh Um, my my question is is like when it comes to like objective design in this game like is it very like like our objectives leaning more towards like hey like to successfully get through this battle you just have to like kill this specific target or does it really like lean into like defeat all enemies here and then it's really uh, makes you force you to like use your resources 
It's a mixed bag. In some ways, I do think it's actually, it tries. In some ways, I would say it's even better speaking pure objectives in like Fire Emblem Engage, where like you have to escort a unit or you have to flee this map or, or whatever. Whereas Fire Emblem Engage didn't really have any of that at one escape level. But um, the, uh, there, there are some, there's a couple of levels where it feels like it's an illusion. And what I mean by that is there's a couple of levels where you get to a map and the objective is to either flee the map or defeat any enemy. However, every enemy, excuse me. However, the problem is, is you start on one side of the map. The, sp- the space you're supposed to flee to is on the other side of the map, uh-huh. and all the enemies are in the way. Yeah. So you're just gonna, so you're just gonna, you're, fight them like, you're gonna have to fight them all anyway. <laughs> like, whether or not it's, just, it's just a does being dicks at that point. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whether or not you decide to flee or you decide to defeat all the enemies, you're, you're practically the same. Yeah, you're still wasting up a shitload of your resources. There's, I don't, there's no way to really brute force that at that point of like trying to like. Be, be conservative on, you know. Yeah. Okay. Now, story-wise, this game has some really interesting concepts that I don't think it executes well. And I know that's a very, very easy thing to say. It's a hard thing for me to maybe explain on that without spoiling it. Well, what's the premise? Like, just the, what's well, our starting the point? Is, the premise is not immediately clear starting mm-hmm. out. It becomes more into focus in the second half of the game. Okay. Uh, but basically, you are a group of five mercenaries Known as the Ashen Hawks. You are mercenaries for some reason, unknown to you, but you are mercenaries and you are fighting a group of enemies. There's a silly name. They are called the Mort. M O R T. The Mort. Oh, okay. Now, the Mort are basically like thralls or orcs, you know, from Lord of the Rings or whatnot. And this is one thing that is not necessarily inherently a bad thing, but it's something that I wasn't really expecting and I'm not sure if I like it. The, the villains, the enemies in this game, the Mort, they will never talk. I beat the game. No Mort enemy ever speaks. They are just mindless orc zombie things. I, did, you, did you encounter anyone called like Mortius or something? No. Okay. None of them have, they have like, you can go through the menu and like, you know, like their unit names, but there's no, there's like a leader Mort and there's like the arrow Morts and then there's like the sword Morts, which are Morts. There's no, like, villain in this game other than just these creatures. So when you're talking about, like, the conflict that is presented in the narrative of this game, it's just that these creatures are dangerous and threatening, obviously, the livelihood of people. And, you know, that is a conflict, but, you know, it's just that the face of it is literally just these mindless enemies, which, again, is not necessarily a bad thing, like, almost any zombie game or show or whatever. But it's just kind of like there is no charismatic antagonist there's no like person to hate like like lovable hateable villain or or antagonist of any sort it's just kind of these these monsters and then that means as you're going through the game the game just kind of throws excuses at you to get into like a battle like oh the mort are taking over this this cathedral we have to clear it out as a as basically a safe haven or as almost like a fortress you know to rest some refugees and then you fight them there so you kind of get these like limp you know, just kind of excuses to have a map there, which is, you know, it's a video game. It's fine in that sense. But if you're looking for something like a really intricate narrative in that sense, it's not. It's just it's really more focused on just like, here are some enemies. We're going to shove them here and you're going to do a battle here. It's just that's just the type of game it is, really. So it's not really like a narrative focus in that sense. It does. There is an, an interesting narrative kind of concept to the game that, like I said, kind of comes in. And it comes in the focus in the second half, but I it's revolved around the around the name Redemption Reapers and what are they actually like redeeming here and what are they reaping? 
But I still think there's, without spoiling it anymore, it doesn't quite click together well. It's like, there was a good idea here, and I actually do appreciate what it tried to do in the narrative. It's just kind of like, I wish it was maybe presented a little different and maybe tweaked here and there if I had my own fan fiction to rewrite it myself. How but, how long is this game? Did it take uh, you? They, they said it takes about 20 to 25 hours. I was more around 30 in the second half of the game, I did kind of like once in the second half of the game, things do lighten up. Things do get a little bit easier in terms of like you can get more money now. You can you eventually get chances to skirmish whenever you want. So you can just get more money if you need it. And I kind of at the second half of the game, just like, all right, I just need to like boost my guys up just to get them, you know, to be ridiculously <laughs> strong. So I did. So I guess I guess for people like like who is this game for? Like who would you recommend for? Do you be like you do you recommend like the people who like Thracia or do you people to Provided for people like 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 challenge strategy RPGs. Yeah, it's it's if you like Thracia, then this might be a game that you can at least appreciate parts of it, which is probably in the boat I land in. I'm, I haven't written my written review yet. I'm probably you know like seven at the highest, maybe a six. Mm-hmm. Like I just think there's it's very uneven in places. But you appreciate the effort. But yeah. So like for example, when I reviewed Diofield, I really like Diofield, like and what it tries to do. I scored it a seven because I do think there are lots of things about it that are just kind of like, you know, very loosely done or just kind of you know threadbare or or maybe very you know uneven or whatnot. But you know, I still overall like that game. And this game, like I said, I kind of categorize it the same way. It's even though it plays very differently, it's like okay, maybe in that same ballpark or so. I will say that if you were just like. If you were just the average Fire Emblem fan, you will not like this game. <laughs> I don't know if that's disparaging to Fire Emblem fans. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean like, like if you're if you're coming into this as like a person who likes modern Fire Emblem in terms of like no, like like, like like yeah, in terms of like you know like the, the like difficulty level, like general difficulty level, like modern Fire Emblem isn't really you know that challenging or that demanding. Yeah. Also, like this game, there's only five characters. There's no support conversations. The five it's Samuel. Sorry, there's your somnial. Can people uh, make no. you up? all your all your your base is a menu, just like in <laughs> Path of Radiance, which I know Brian would appreciate. But um, the characters in this game, they're like fine. But again, it's the story and the way this game is written is more about like kind of like the group mm-hmm. rather than like, oh, this character is like we're going to write this character to be as interesting as possible or have like a really cool like you know, backstory or like motivation or something. It's just more about the group as a whole. It's more like an ensemble sort of writing. And it's it's fine. It's more like the concept behind it, I think, is at least a little bit interesting. But if you're a game if you're a player who really likes like, you know, if you really like character writing and things like that, or if you really like really involved narratives, probably not. It's more just kind of like concepts here that i think are cool rather than yeah, like the, 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 yeah, the, it seems like the main allure of the game is just like having like a somewhat challenging strategy rpg that like forces you to like interface with the systems and mm-hmm. limited resources like if you really like that style of strategy rpg like it forces you to like do that yeah and the, the last thing i'll say is this game actually has a fair number of like animated cutscenes, which is interesting because like 2d animated or how do you mean that no that's like Sorry, I meant like cutscenes. There's like a traditional cutscene. The reason oh, 3D I- CG and like 3D CG cutscenes. I think they're. Not, I don't think they're CG. Oh, they I guess. Like, I guess you right. talked about this when we talked about the story trailer and how you cringed yeah. out before you got very far into it. Okay, right. So the reason why that's interesting is these developers, the other games by these developers, which Ad Globe, which is basically Ender Lilies, I think. I don't know if they had anything else. That's that. That game is all like 
2D static portraits. So the fact that this game has, you know, these cutscenes, like literally like rendered characters, I think it's pre-rendered. I'm pretty sure it is. Obviously, it's a very different focus in the actual game itself. And the thing is, is that they are they feel like from like the PS3 era, which, you know, it's it's obviously lower budget. It's not going to be like a triple A production. I do think some of the like some of the cinematography and some of like the color shading and blocking and styling is actually pretty good. It's just that the actual like fidelity of like the animations and the the renders themselves feel dated. And so especially in like facial animation, when a character talks, their like mouth is like statuesque and barely moving. So you kind of have to just kind of accept that's what it's like. But overall, there is a style to this game that I think is okay. You can just sort of tell by the color palette in the title. It is a little bit dreary. It's a lot of blacks and grays and browns, some yellows. And so it's not not upbeat. It's not poppy. But I, I do think there's a style to this game that, you know, you may or may, may dislike. Also, when I was playing through this game, I was like, this localization is surprisingly well done. I wonder mm. who did it. And, uh, you know... This is sort of the thing where you kind of feel validated at the end. And I, I actually, I should have, I should have wrote this down as sort of, sort of like, it's almost like record. Like I was like, did eight four do this? Because this is like really well done. Who did this localization? And turns out it was eight four. Uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar, <laughs> if you're not familiar, eight four has done a lot of great English localizations, like the Near series, uh, Fire Emblem Echoes. They did a lot of Dragalia Lost. Yeah, yeah. recently they did Batman Kaito's Origin. Is this there? Uh, is there like a like? Are you becoming like a connoisseur of localizations now? Like, a, like, like you kind of get a sense of like as you're playing games, you're kind of getting a sense of like who's doing the localization for them because you've played so many like games and like you know reading scripts and you know, and like like it feels like local like some localization companies have like their own certain style of writing and like you can just kind of feel that after you've played so many of like different games. That, like, here, let me let me look something up in real time here. So the the I the uh the editor was Alan Averill. Okay. Okay. Let's go to movie movie games and look up Alan Averill. Hopefully, whoever does movie games updates has kept this up to date. He has done near replicant. He has done near Canada okay. editor. Okay. He was the editor on Fire Emblem Awakening on mm-hmm. Xenoblade Chronicles Cross. Dragon's Dogma. Right. Okay. Uh, Saga Scarlet Grace. Most of those, I would say, have really good localizations. Shadow of Valentia, yes. I might have said that already. Uh, so, and then he, he also back in the day, he, oh, I guess even he worked. He must have worked at Nintendo before eight four. He did work on Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. He worked on Batman Kaito's Origin. Which wow, is okay, a great localization. So yeah, this. So yeah, I, I have definitely played games with this person as editor before, and you know it the, showed. The DNA is there, <laughs> right? That's interesting. That's interesting because we were talking about this too, like. Briefly, when you're like uh, discussing about Galler- Labyrinth Galleria's localization, and like you kind of get kind of got a sense of like, ah, it's not as up to par as like yeah. Labyrinth Refrain. Well, that was more specifically with the voice acting. I'm like, this voice acting. Oh, yeah. Is- um, yeah. I, I wonder who did it. And then what it turns out is the original game, Le Refrain, was done by Bang Zoom Studios. The new game, Galleria, or Galeria, was done by Sentai Studios with completely different, you know, stabs so, and actors. So yeah, I, I don't. I will say about Galeria, even though I haven't been playing the localization, I've noticed a lot of people say that the story itself, its translation is good, or at least, or at least fine. But a lot of the system text, and I've just seen like a few examples, but it's like a lot of the system text is just absolutely like incorrect. Oh, <laughs> the first game, that's something. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, the, the, the 
even this game actually, Redemption Reapers, some of the system text were like, what does this weapon do or what does this ability do? It kind of feels not very clear and it's very weirdly written. But the look, the, 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 the dialogue for like the story and the characters in this game, I think, is really well done. But yeah, that's it. So the type of game that I hard for me to recommend it unless like if you are if you are the dozens of us who say Thracia 776 is one of the best Fire Emblem games and maybe give this one a, tra- a chance because it's, it's similar in small ways anyway. Is there voice acting in it? I didn't actually track. Yeah. I forgot. Okay. And the voice acting was done by Cup of Tea with by okay. ADR director Kyle McCarley, if you care. That's All right. 9S's uh, voice. Yep. All right. There we go, uh, child. This has a Japanese voice track. Yeah, Just but it's Kyle Mc- McCarley. Oh, I, I'm just saying, you know, I, I know you like your Japanese voices. Yeah, but he's actually a better 9S. Sorry, no offense to the Japanese <laughs> voice actors, but he's a better He's 9S. better than Natsuki Hanai. Come on now. Yeah, he is. <laughs> No offense. And you know what? It's kind of funny. They both play similar roles, too. It's like, he plays Alm, and that's again... Plays yeah, they both they Alm. both play Alm, right? And 9S in both languages. Like, mm. It's like, whatever they do, they both do the same thing. Alright. Well, thank you, Adam, for giving us a little bit of a look in a, a little bit of a lower-profile game in Redemption Reapers. Wait, wait, and- hold on. Before we move on to this, uh, Adam posted a screenshot of, like, the Japanese voice actors in the, on this project, and the English voice actors as well, but why do they have st- okay? Why does it have like stack cast in both? Why does this game have Kenjiro Suda and Nanamizuki? <laughs> that is so stacked. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Adam just posted this, and I'm like, all right, oh, all right, Adam. R- Richard Epcar. That's a, yeah, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. What the fuck? And Steve Bloom. I mean, he's everywhere. I know, but look. I mean, typically for games like this, yeah, I, there's, there's kind of like a bombshell that like Adam posted in the hour of this discussion. What the fuck? All right, I mean, that reminds me this th- game out anyway. That reminds <laughs> me of this. It's not this is not quite related, but I uh, I beat Wild Hearts uh, in the last week, and then like the composer was Hamazu. I'm like, oh, like I wasn't expecting that. Oh, huh. yeah. All right, and now we will transition into our third and last game in our game talk section of the podcast here that. Colin was really eager to talk about, and we weren't expecting to talk about this game because it is a release from last year, and that is the Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers Edition, the remaster that came out on Switch and PC and PlayStation last year. So one of our news headlines of this week, surprisingly, when no one expected it, is that the official Twitter page for the game was randomly announced that they were going to patch it to give performance improvements. And luckily, this is just a little bit of serendipity here. I believe it was Colin who covered the uh, review for that remaster when it came out last year, specifically the Switch version, specifically how poorly it ran. I think Colin has some thoughts about this. I do. Especially the timing. I certainly do. I'm I'm glad I get to take the talking stick for this one because Chrono Cross has been present in my life for the last two years. Without getting too much into it, I've essentially been making like a big like retrospective on Chrono Cross, and I just recently wrapped up that like project. And my last part was talking about the remaster, which for those of you who do not know, the remaster, while it has a lot of really neat aspects to it, it ran really bad across every single platform, specifically Switch. Yeah, and also, like, you know, mentioned, like, you know, like, you you were undertaking, like, a big, like, a video project for this idol for your YouTube channel as well. Yeah, and so I just finished, 
I just made a supercut of all my parts, which is more or less a way for me to say this project is done now. I am mm-hmm. like wrapping it up no more and mm-hmm. I'm moving on. And as soon as I put this out, I think maybe like three days later, they Twitter account tweets out. Yeah. So we're fixing the remaster now. And I'm like, Oh no. Well, for my sake, I hope it's not that fixed. So that <laughs> it's <you> not that <laughs> Because I, I literally, like, I don't, I, I try to not be reactionary when it comes mm-hmm. to the stuff and be like, this is shit forever and it's doomed and whatever, because that age is poorly. But I do say, I think the remaster, despite how much I like it, and despite how this will be the version I revisit in future playthroughs, it's a bit mediocre in spots. And it really just comes down to the performance is, was poor. So now I'm kind of mad that I summoned this balance fix for lack of a better term, that completely tweaks a bunch of things with it and fixes the performance entirely to such a state where it's not just to par with the PS1 version, it's completely better. Like, I'd say that... Colin? Colin? Hmm? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Colin. Yeah. You did this. No. I did manifest it. I have a a habit of doing that. It sucks. So I guess, you know, the very basic breakdown for people who don't know is, like, the, 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 the... one of the biggest fixes they did with this uh, recent performance patch was like on all the platforms that it, you know, it released on its remasters. Like battles now run at 60 FPS for the Switch version up to 60 FPS. But they specifically mentioned that the final battle of Chrono Cross on Switch, the Switch version can only support up to 30 FPS. But That's other than that, you know, other than that, like, you know, like it's still way, 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 way better than like it. Uh, release like and to add extra context to this on ps1 i the battles on in chrono cross were very inconsistent performance wise yes like this game was never like like when i saw a bunch of people complaining about the performance initially a lot of this was just like it was kind of always like this like it was worse in the remaster, but, if you play people, the are, people have already subjected themselves to like, oh, this is the way it was designed. It can't be fixed. It's just like, well, this is the way it was. Yeah. And, and it's, it really is just like one. I think when a lot of people said that we all did, cause I was one of them. We all did mm-hmm. it under the assumption of no one would go back into this sloppy PS one code <laughs> and fix it. Uh-huh. No one would assuming, be yeah. assuming if they even still have the code. Cause that's exactly. But so I cannot like we don't know yet what exactly they did to this to do like work this well, because the most fans were able to do in the last year was put out a hex edit that kind of makes it run at 30 or yeah, there, some there, there, there were some fan hacks up to 60, but they're very like janky oh, at best. Yeah, I would say straight up bad. Like a, a lot, lot of the things that when people are saying just make it 60 FPS, don't understand that for an old game like this, it's not that easy. Like, yeah, like a lot of old games like run on like their logic inside the frame rate, you know. <laughs> and this was definitely one of those instances, and it's why that like I'm pretty sure that's the reason why field segments still run at 30, and it's that if they could do it, they would. Mm-hmm. But so seeing it now that they've changed it to such a state where it's like battles running at 60 is incredible because they don't even do that on PS1. Like yeah, it blows, it blows my mind that they did this in the first place. It was just like, yes. like I thought it was like one of those days. Like, it's just like, all right, you released it and forgot it, but like, it's fine. It's preservation. Sure. Okay. Like, life will go on. But for them to go back and do this is like, that's just very weird. It's like, it's not even just that. Like, Adam and I were laughing about it because we were meeting the Japanese actors for this, and they like revamped the whole growth of the of the pip 
in that game, and there's like this detailed charts upon charts upon charts on the pa- Japanese patches of that game of like of like the rebouncing of like the growth of the pip, and it's like what the fuck are they doing? Like it, <laughs> it's so funny when they announced the performance patch. I think I and just about everyone else, all we expected was okay, get the game running at thirty across the board. Yeah, I I asked no more than that, truthfully, because all I that's all I wanted. Like mm-hmm. I hearing fans talk about like. 60 fps patch for all of it when i knew all that would boil down to is making it look really jank and weird that's just no you would have to tweak so much and it would go a lot further than just what a fan could do with like a mod and seeing now that they have spent a year working on this and getting it running at 60 for battles when they did not have to do that but can you imagine a narrative for this game? If this is like the launch state of Chrono Chrono Cross, right? If this it would have like been the, incredible. It's like, just one of those things. It's like it's so it kind of it kind of makes it a little frustrating because like this is something I really wanted to get excited about when it came out because you know like Chrono Cross is a very divisive game, but I, I always appreciated it for what it tried to do, and like I, I'm usually more positive than most people. But seeing it in that state last year when it launched, I was like, man, I despise this game, but. You know, I'm glad to see like patches like these. Like, it's like nobody wants to see their game being shit on from performance issues. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm glad they finally, like, you know, they redeemed it. You know? Yeah. Does this affect radical dreamers in any way? I don't think so. There wasn't much to fit. Yeah. That, that re release of Radical Dreamers is great. The PC version of Radical Dreamers might have just been my specific setup, and I don't know why, but like the menu that you access to like go into Radical Dreamers, for some reason, it just, always it just sucked it like chugged it like barely moved and then like as soon as i got into the game it was fine but like the menu before it was just terrible so hopefully interesting they i it didn't been my might have just been my it's not 60 fps for you yeah um, I, I will say i also because i had to replay radical dreamers on pc to get footage for it i never had that issue but yeah and i know brian that, didn't or no not brian watching someone else play it and they didn't have the issues or just kind of like, I don't know, whatever. But I just, as like one of Chrono Cross's strongest soldiers, I'm so like, it feels good. It it feels very vindicating. Even if now I'm like looking over at this, like this video project, just kind of like, Oh, <laughs> if I had literally waited a week, I could have made an addendum and it just evergreen video. Mm. But I'm just like, as soon as this got announced, like it was just like, oh, that's awesome. And then I booted it up on my Switch, saw how perfect it was running, and immediately bought the physical copy. There you go. Just immediately. I was mm. like, okay, cool. I don't feel ashamed to own this now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know. But you know, starting to patch it. Or is it like from like Asia? Yeah, I think it's the uh, Asian English okay. version. But you'll still be version 1.0. It's like, imagine the. I mean, you could still update the future. it. <laughs> be like. It's good for preservation's sake, you know, so he always has the option to, you know, always revisit the the legacy of Chrono Cross when it first launched. But I, what I just, I'm so pleased about this is that before this, Chrono Cross uh, Radical Dreamers Edition was just kind of universally considered one of the weaker Square remasters. Like, a lot of people did like what they did. Like, I, I personally, I love all the new visuals. I love what they did with the backgrounds, all of that stuff. It is like, the only thing in the way for me was performance. And now that this has been fixed, I think this is one of their best remasters. <laughs> like they flipped it so quickly and out of nowhere. And I'm just, I'm beaming over here. That's ongoing support. Let's put it on the board. 
<laughs> yeah, on go- <laughs> we put it on our best remaster category for our last game of the year, and we just kind of had to easily knock it, knock it off. Now we're like, well, I have to say though, because I'm wondering, they did not have to do this. It's great. It was very out of did. nowhere. It was very out of there. It's a very vocal surprise. So it makes me wonder. Okay, you made it. Made it a big deal to fix the Chrono thing. Are you guys working on any other Chrono things that you felt this was a big enough deal to go back to? Chrono break, guys. It's <laughs> happening. I, I honestly, I think this is I, wishful thinking. <laughs> like it is wishful thinking, totally. But also, yeah, more. They're gonna, they're gonna release Chrono Break. It's gonna run at 15 FPS inconsistently at launch, and they'll fix it a year later. That's that's Kato's vision. I'll take it. <laughs> wow. But no, it just leads me excited. I guess I really yeah. like. If there's more, great. If there's not, I can just be happy that one of my favorite games now has the remaster it deserves. So, yeah, no, if, if anyone's interested in Chrono Cross, this is the time to jump in. It'll feel good whenever they, if they get around to adding uh, Chrono Cross music into theatrism. I know they'll do, oh, I think yeah. they're doing Chrono Trigger, but I don't know if they're doing Chrono Cross. I think it's both. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's both, yeah. I didn't go double track, but man, it, what be, a... I mean, it better be both because Chrono Cross's soundtrack is better. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not a, that's not a hot take. That's pretty common. What do you think, Chow? Is it time for me to like this game now? No, not happening. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying, what do, you, what do you think? Chrono Trigger OST better or, better or worse than Chrono Cross OST for you, Chow? Okay, that, uh, Chrono Cross is like literally the god perfection OST there is. So you can't beat it. Even if the game is trash, the music is god tier. You can't beat that music. That's like, small aside. Small aside. Very. That's like a David versus Goliath battle right here. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mention when I was talking about Redemption Reapers. Redemption Reapers has like a stupid good soundtrack at times. It almost mm-hmm. feels like undeserving of it in ways. It's just kind of like why, <laughs> why? <laughs> lots of good games with. There's lots of like trash. Games I mean, I don't think Redemption Reapers is a bad game. But I don't think it's a great game. It's an interesting game, perhaps. It's just like it's really, really, really hard at times. Yeah, in the middle of games, like you didn't have to pop off. Like, <laughs> okay, can't, why, why you? Why can't you just be mediocre throughout? Jesus. <laughs> I'm saying there there is trash games with god tier soundtracks like Dawn of Mana. It has the best Mana soundtrack of all the Mana games. Dawn of Mana has a pretty good, pretty good music. Right. Chow's like, I will dislike Chrono Cross on its own merits, not not because <laughs> of the port. It's like <laughs> everything about this game is fundamentally flawed to me. It's like this is this is like me with Josh with chain echoes of how much I despise this game. <laughs> all right, little Chow. <laughs> Okay, I get it. I get it now. Okay, I understand. I, I, like, how we're, I like how we're building up like Tetracast <laughs> lore with the, um, with the, with the, <laughs> the stuff. Well, no, thank I you. Mean, uh, I'm glad that we were able to get Colin on, not only to talk about uh, obviously Octopath Traveler 2, but because obviously without Colin, we were we were going to report on the patch anyways, because it's one of our news topics, but to actually go in and see that Colin tried it out, was so impressed to buy the physical copy. Thank you speak. for saving Chrono Cross, Colin. You're, you're welcome. I'm glad my misery is able to benefit <laughs> the Chrono Cross landscape. I'm, uh, I am, I was so impressed. For some reason, I have no idea why, because I reviewed it for us on Switch, and I booted into Switch on my OLED, and my save was gone. I don't know if that game just doesn't have cloud saves or what, but then I was like, oh, dang, you're saying I have to restart Chrono Cross? Heck, I guess I will. So I'm like, I'm playing through it again with this patch, and I'm like, I might just replay this entire game. (laughs) 
I got. I remember like this was like a big talking like even before like the radical dreamers edition came out. Like you shared like some before before release. You shared some videos where you like, dude, what the fuck is up with the frame rate of this? Mouth? It was so <laughs> bad. I was like, I saw it. I'm like, holy shit! You gotta it's be like, kidding me. This is no way, right? Like it, <laughs> it was no way. It was so bad on Switch that I had people after my review say I was trying to like hate on the Switch. And like lie that's they were like, yeah, no, don't you see? Colin, Colin, uh, resident switch hater, obviously. Yeah, literally, I will play, I will take the biggest L's ever just to play a game portable, though. Like, and it's gone to the point where it's like, I'll be real, I prefer playing my Switch over my Steam Deck. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just I, more I'm comfy. The same, the same way, too. It's lighter, I like it more. I'll look at two gate like two versions, and even if the Switch version is like way worse running, I'm like, but I want it on Switch though. Like, I mean, I'm, at the end of the day, you want to you want to feel comfortable playing the game, exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't, doesn't yeah, matter. My, my really fragile arms, okay. I can't hold the Steam Deck for more than thirty minutes, okay. Like, but I had people telling me that I was trying to like put out like basically a hit piece on the Switch, and they were like, "Don't you see? It's trash on all the other systems, idiot." I'm like. Okay, they, but you're not seeing what say, I'm playing. <laughs> are they going to say the same thing with the Symphonia part, too? It's trash on all systems, too. It's okay. In a year, Bad Night Africa is going to make it the best fucking <laughs> game. Apparently, they're game working ever. on a patch. <laughs> have, you, have you heard about this? Like, part of the reason why the Symphonia remastered port like, runs like shit on Switch is because the upscaling on Colette's wings is like it's fucking up the performance. Yeah, I heard that. Dude, like, that's man, so strange. Into this too. I, I saw, I saw there was like a headline: "How to fix the Switch performance issues." California, <laughs> take Colette out of the party. <laughs> and that's fucked up. Colette is like one of the best, if not the best, like early game character. I fucked up. To add into the Symphony a little bit, I'm playing it like more or less for the first time mm-hmm. on Switch right now. I'm covering that for uh, Insider at the moment. Uh, you really don't need to play that remaster to completion to know what's wrong with it. It is immediate. And as someone from a coding background, I'm not sure if uh, if you will allow me to like kind of nerd out a little bit. Yeah. So the surface level of pro- like take on what's wrong with Symphonia is that the effects are broken. And that's correct. Like battle transitions don't work as intended. I don't know if you guys talked about this last week. I'm sorry, I didn't have a chance to listen. We fully went over it, like it, but no one really like got a chance to get their hands onto it. We just okay. heard like, the secondhand reporting. So it is that every time you go into a battle, what it would do was it would freeze frame, crack the screen, break it, then fade into battle with like a white fade in. Mm-hmm. What it does now on Switch, and this is only on Switch. We could talk about load times being bad across the remaster, which is true. The load times aren't great, but I'll be honest. I've never been the type to hate load times because I could just do something else. <laughs> but I get it. It's a problem. This is way worse. Where what it'll do when you hit a battle, it'll flash a black frame, flash a white frame, and then fade in. It hurts my eyes. Oh, no, that seems bad. <laughs> it's bad. Also, if you pause the game, what it's supposed to do is kind of over top of what you're doing kind of show the menu on top of that what it does now is black frame all the menus are on top of a black frame what the fuck when you do the skits same thing no way black frame over top of that so i was noticing a connected factor on all of these and it's that it seems to be that 
what the intent is, is it's, it's supposed to be kind of, I'm looking at this from a coding perspective, just assuming it. I, I'm not looking into it, but if you work with code enough, you can kind of like start to piece the debug process in your mind. Mm-hmm. What what I think what Symphony is trying to do in that instance is it takes a screenshot, keeps it in temporary data of what you're currently doing. So if you pause the game, if you go into a skit, if you go into a battle, all in all of those instances, it takes a screenshot and applies an effect on it. It seems like the screenshot part of it is broken, so it errors out. Or the so, effect is just like being implied, applied improperly, where it's like, you're supposed to see what you're doing, foggy in the background? Nope. Black. Well, no, I think it's just that the screenshot just doesn't work. Oh, okay. Because it has no image mm-hmm. to apply the effect on, so it errors out, and you get nothing. So there's nothing, because what I'm pretty sure, like, on the Switch version, what it's supposed to be doing for battles, for instance... Is like, and you can just play any other version to see this. It'll take the the effect, like the screenshot, apply the shatter effect. Behind that, it will have the white screen. So when the shatter effect happens and it breaks through, you get the white screen and then it fades in to the battle. But because it can't apply that effect, you get a black image, like a black nothing over the like a black nothing, no effect. Immediately cut that out. You have a white thing and then that fades in. It just seems like something is like that exact effect is broken and it broke a lot of effects with it. And mm-hmm. I don't know how this launched in this state. One thing that Scott mentioned also. So this game is from like 2006 or five or something. Right. So it's not like going to have like really high cinematic values, like cinematic, you know, fidelity anyways. But in the original release, you could at, it at least did like transitions between like scenes where like one scene would fade into the other. If, it, if it, like a camera was changing or whatnot. You get what I mean? Yes. But apparently in this version, it just is hard cuts. So like camera pans over a character, then just like hard cut to the other character on the other side or whatever. Just like, you know, just how it does the cinematics is just like even worse than what it was before. And that might have to do with the same thing. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but I've seen it too. So Mm -hmm. I have announced in the Japanese side, they're putting out a patch. We have no idea how long that will take. I just like it's it's just it's just oh, yeah it's like unacceptable yeah. that it that it launched the state like it's just frankly disgusting yeah no I am sure they charging for this forty dollars yeah mm-hmm. god it's fifty five dollars Canadian on our side Jesus. I, I, I could find a physical copy of it but I couldn't find a physical copy of Octopath two I'm I have basically I have decided I'm I'm done playing this until it mm-hmm. improves oh yeah I mean that it's it's already hard on your eyes when every every time you fucking go into a battle it's not worth it. No, all right. Yeah. So, so you, all you got to do is put together a Tales retrospective. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'm not. Uh, okay, 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 Colin. How about they, let's save another re-release? Then apparently, the re-release of Legend of Dragoon on PlayStation Four and Five, or just Five, I forgot. Also bad. <laughs> yeah. Also fucking bad, and a really completely broken state on its re-release because that's, I guess, a hot new trend these days. So apparently, I don't like. Uh, it's getting a lot of the really bad visual artifacts, like emulation visual visual artifacts, and also like apparently there's just some random spells that like hard lock the game all over, all over, and then there's like just audio bugs, and then some voice lines have just been randomly cut out in it. So you know, another classic JRPG re-released onto a modern platform that just completely borked. And who knows when that's getting fixed? Uh, doubly Probably so because won't. it's fucking Sony. 
Yeah, like and that's the thing. Okay, Sony. <laughs> like a lot of those like emulated like re-releases, like especially the PS2, were just completely broken on PS4 and PS5, and they just never got fixed. Apparently, they they updated like the European like uh, releases. Like the refresh rate has been like those were like patched into like the NA standard refresh rates. Like I think early on, if I remember correctly. But I don't know if they're gonna get around to fixing this. Um, I don't, I don't expect them to. I, I'm gonna be real. I used to like really care about these like re-releases they do, especially for these old PS1 games. Duckstation is so easy. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're you're not wrong. I mean, it's just like why even Bob? Why would you take the time and effort to spend the fucking money for an infinitely worse experience? They want those trophies, okay? They want okay. to brag about their achievements. Hey, well, look, I, mean, I killed this boss at level yeah. one. Look. All right. Well, they can they can have it if they really I... fucking go through a worst game experience i spent years waiting for a vagrant story re-release so i decided to just play it mm-hmm. on duck station and i'm like yeah no I just got the experience yeah. basically one-to-one as it was intended so if a vagrant <laughs> story re-release comes out and it sucks then it's like well that's oh. glad i didn't wait <laughs> yeah i mean these things will only get easier if you're not gonna fight if you're if you're if you're if, if this is the, what you're gonna be putting out and charging money for then fuck though dude hell no yeah honestly like this whole conversation has just like really like solidified the fact that this industry just does not have enough respect for its like history well just like Jim ryan <laughs> yeah it's like all credit to square for fixing chrono cross but it shouldn't have launched in that mm-hmm. state to begin with like yeah. it's just god I really like you know. There's not just for you know old games. There's just like for modern releases as well. Like we were just talking about Wild Hearts the other weekend. You know, by the way, that whole long demo launched, and that thing that I reported to the devs about the same issue that Wild Hearts had at launch that I reported over a month and a half ago is still a problem in the demo, even though they already fixed it in the engine for Wild. Oh yeah. you guys try out the Wild Hearts patch? Do you have any update on like whether that Wild Hearts have um, Wild Hearts patch? So I can play it on my desktop. That game still does not run nearly as well as it should, considering it still looks worse than Monster Hunter World. Yeah. So yeah, and, I also uh, I, I was streaming that game and I was watching it, and for me, it runs okay, like frame rate wise. I think my GPU is just brute forcing it. But then I was oh, yeah, talking. I was I was talking to some NPCs, and they just they did not spawn in with their clothes and head. So they were just like a naked mannequin, just talking to me, telling me that somebody nice. wished much monster to go hunt. And I'm like, Neat. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, watching Brian's stream, and I just looked over and I'm like, what are you playing? So yeah, but, but yeah, it's just like it's just and then you're charging how much for this game? Just like man, come on. Like I, I get it. Video game development is fucking insanely hard, but. This this can't be the day one experience that we are. We always have to get used to. Like, oh, I guess we'll just wait for the patch and yeah, really it, better. It especially pisses me off because it's like one, you could say, oh well, they didn't catch this in QA or like something like that with the RDNA three stuff. But it's like it's a, it feels a little bit different when you know specifically that the devs knew about it for at least a month. And okay. it's like painting God. painting with a broad brush. There are enough devs that are vocal enough on social media across all developers and publishers of many sizes almost all the time yeah qa did see it but yeah. they just they just decide that their ship date is more important or they don't have the resources yeah. to crush it and i want to paint with too broad a brush so there might be like certain things where they're like yeah that's low on the totem pole we can't get that but when it's there, there has to be a breaking point at some point yeah. like 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 
people can't be we cannot t- just normalize hey we just expect a broken experience at launch and then we'll just expect a performance patch to just fix it up later and that's just the standard normal thing to do now like I just do not like this modern landscape of like yeah the day one experience is gonna be fucking shit and just deal with it until they get around to fixing it I guess like, uh, and um been, sorry <laughs> oh I was just like because I've been playing Ishin on PC hmm? I have had to refund that Oh really? Wow! Oh yeah, my God! The shuddering. This... Yeah. Oh yeah. It's unreal. That's crazy. For a game on PC, yeah, okay. had stuttering issues, but I, I was like, it's a, you know, I like my, I guess my GPU was like, well, I eventually well, forced it. It's more a... of a CPU thing, don't you have like a fifty eight hundred X? I think fifty nine hundred X. Oh yeah, the fifty nine. That would explain it because it's like if it, yeah, it's really you're still gonna that. have the stutters, mm-hmm. but like the better your CPU is the. the less yeah i i even mentioned my review like yeah, i experienced some stutters and that, that kind of dragged down my experience but you know like my, on my on my setup like it was only minor i didn't know that people were having much much worse stuttering issues on their end it's for that game such a bad state oh, right now they, they have said that they are patching it but uh-huh there you go. it's it's that's another thing that's inexcusable how many unreal engine 4 releases have come out and people have complained about the the shader compilation issues it's it's not a new issue. It's been going on for like over a year. Everyone's that complained sucks, about dude. it. Digital Foundry has complained about it. That. They just had a high five rush where the developers outright said because they knew that it was a problem that they went through the effort of making damn sure that the shaders were compiled on first boot so you didn't have that stuttering. And you know what? That game were perfectly fine, even though it's an Unreal Engine 4 title. It's just... I'm just going to say it. If you release a PC version of a game that's on Unreal Engine 4 and has shared compilation stutters in 2023, you deserve all the shit you're going to get deservedly for not putting enough effort into making sure that game runs right. Yeah, I mean, there's already so many times, like, you know, there's there's a long list of, like, cases before you, right? Like, once again, there's going to be a breaking point and, like, people are just going to be like, what? Fuck this, dude. What the and, fuck are we doing? I, I, in general, I, I this feels a little bit like deja vu. Like in the last month, we're talking about, well, Forspoken runs poorly, but hey, they're patching it. Ishin runs poorly. Uh-huh. Well, hey, they're patching it. Wild Hearts runs poorly, but hey, they're going to be patching it. You know what? You know what? I want, I want to, well, long even. It might be, it might be well, long next too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Because it is. Like, even if it's not stuttering, it's just the fucking, the RDNA 3 issues. And Does then there's no shader, shader completion. If, I do want to say something positive. I do want to say something positive. I put up a, re- a preview for Rise of 3. I tell you, Rise of 3 earlier this week, and I know we're going to talk about it later, but I just want to come out. This is a good point to say it. That PC version is really fucking good. Like, I didn't put it in the preview article because it wasn't really a good spot to put it, but I tweeted out, like, the options menu on PC. That game runs really, really well. It has a ton of graphical settings, and it's like, Thank God. We're going to start Thank giving you. bonus points for extra credit. To, to, like, it's like, hey, you fucking launched like a pretty stable. Thank you, Gus. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, extra well, credit. It's order. especially crazy because like Gus used to be terrible for their PC ports, yeah. even for Koei Tecmo standards. Because like Koei Tecmo, like, I don't know if you remember this, but back when like uh, Total Biscuit was alive, he would always like rip into Koei Tecmo for having the worst PC ports because they were like, yes cap yeah. they would be based oh, yeah. off the ps3 version and said the mm-hmm. ps4 version was just a total nightmare and then gust was even worse and now it's like flips where gust is making but frankly is probably one of the best pc ports of the last several years which is insane so i looked into this because uh i was playing Ishin with a friend while i like who saw me refund it in real time because i got to a, a 
in a crucial cutscene in the opening chapter, and then it started stuttering. I was like, no, I'm not doing uh, the whole yeah, game. Yeah, don't, 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 don't deal with it. Fuck it, dude. But and then I I booted into another game that had several months of patches where I I saw massive stuttering on launch. Then I said I will give them time. And this game is Staros and the Divine Force. Uh huh. I just looked into it. Unreal Engine Four. Yep. It's that not game Unreal is Engine Four. It's a, it's their own in house engine, but they do pre compile shaders. Google says Unreal Engine Four. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that. I thought it was Unreal Engine. Also, no, I'm pretty sure it Staros. But anyway, regardless is I'm I booted that up after months of like waiting to see if they got that together because again unplayable on PC like the stuttering is terrible it's so bad and for an open world game, even 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 with like I've tried to go through like an extra effort of like compiling shaders on first boot and then having the option in game menu to like the recompile them again like you can you can kind of iron it out but there is still you know issues for sure even going through like the steps of doing it that's but wild because like, I never had stuttering issues on Star Ocean. Precompile just worked for me. It, I was running around like not even the world map, a town, and it was stuttering like crazy. And I'm just I know oh, I'm no, I like I know Brian had to like do like the option, the in-game option recompile again to iron it all out. Finally, uh, I, I had to do it. I had to do it a few times. Then eventually yeah, it's multiple times. Maybe Maybe I just insane. need to buy a better CPU, but like mine's not even that old. Yours is from 2019, and it's a six-core CPU. Like it's uh, it's fine, but it's weaker than the CPUs in the current gen consoles. So I but would it just have... it still feels shitty though that like he yeah. has to even for like even for like lower powered like gra- graphically lower powered games like it's like they're still going through this issue like even though like yeah. even if his specs meet them. Yeah, it's like still, Star yeah, Ocean sucks. and Ishin are at the yeah. core like PS4 games. Like, let's yeah, be real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it like I mean, it sucks. It just fucking yeah. sucks across the board. And like, and it feels like you know some developers kind of use DLS and other upscaling AI upscaling methods to kind of like they're kind of relying those as crutches to like guide like, get their performance by. Yeah. Which fucking sucks as well. Like, hey, maybe we're gonna kind of like skip on like optimizing this to kind of rely on this method to maybe get it across the finish line. It's like fuck, man. Yeah, what are we doing here? What are we doing? It's a nightmare because it's what like so doing? many so many aspects of PC gaming right now are like the best they've ever been. Like it's like the best time if you're like building or upgrading a PC. Like there's actual competition in CPU space. Like AMD and Intel are on like a fucking slugfest, like just being like, hey, here's a new like super fast gaming CPU. Here's another one. Here's like a discount so you can get like a new CPU set up like really cheap. Then there's like like NVMe drives, like SSDs, cheapest they've ever been, all really good quality. Like, like the actual PC building experience, except for graphics cards, is like really, really good. But then the actual games, where it's like, yeah, not every game on PC is going to have that issue, but it seems like it's damn near 95% of the time that you're going to play an Unreal Engine 4 game on PC, which, spoiler alert, that's most of the games coming out these days. It's just going to be a complete and utter nightmare. Oh, we live in hell right now. That's what I, think. <laughs> I like how we went from Chrono Cross Remastered Edition to Tales of Symphonia to all the recent releases. Yeah. yeah, we have did that. <laughs> and now we're done. I'm sorry for, for changing the subject altogether. But Look, man, it, it has to be. It has to be said, okay? We're because because it's been, it's been that's kind of been the trend of 2023, okay? From Forspoken 
to Wild Hearts, to Ishin, to whatever, Wolong next, to whatever next. It's just like, I feel like it's just going to be just a constant thing this year, and it's going to fucking suck. It's going to fucking suck. I'm bracing myself for that uh, Fatal Frame remake, oh, remaster thing. Uh-huh, and it's going to fucking stutter. <laughs> I... <laughs> Well, do you want me to help you find out what CPU you might want to upgrade to? I was literally going to ask you. I have one in mind. I wanted to run it by you. All right. Actually, I have two in mind. Look, man, I'm just looking at the Steam front page right now. Like, let me see. Digimon World Next Order. Is it going to stutter? How about this Pocky and Rocky Reshrined? Is that going to stutter? I've heard nothing about that Digimon. It's a $60 release for a game. It's like years old or something no but i haven't even seen reviews on that seven years old i think <laughs> i don't think they sent out codes for it i can uh, reviews are very positive but oh, it's uh, digimon fans it's very well, I, mean, I mean i mean for steam reviews for steam reviews yeah yeah apparently podcasts. apparently it runs really well on steam deck so that's something there you go no stutters all right we have a champion but We're how does lost. it run on switch <laughs> it was originally uh, I mean, a beta game it better damn well run all right yeah i mean at least like almost a decade ago, so you can go find that. <laughs> I don't know if this sixty bucks. I don't, I don't know if this has a Switch version. I think it has a Switch version, but I don't remember. Yeah, it does. It's Switch and Steam uh, releases for this. I searched "stutter" and "stuttering" on the games uh, discussions board, and I'm not uh, finding anything. So I'm all right, sure let's go. We're, we're, we're in. We're in. All right, I'm a Digimon fan now. Well, we're about two hours in, and we've covered all the games that we're going to be covering for this week's version of the podcast. So we'll go from here into pulling out a few features that are up on the site, though a lot of them we have kind of covered incidentally already, and then going into the news, which for this week is mostly release dates, as we're kind of filling out the release schedule for March and April. Helen, if you want to stick around, you're free to. Otherwise, I'll let you go at this point. I, I think this, unfortunately, is when I do have to uh, bow out. This was really great. I'm glad I got to talk about Chrono Cross and Octopath. Yeah. And stuttering. And stuttering, yes. Yeah. Uh, also fun. But uh, well, Okay. But uh, yeah, so uh, thanks for having me, and I hope you have a good rest of the cast. You have a good one, have Colin. Good one. Take care. Later, Colin. Bye-bye. All right, for all the features that are up on the site, most of these have been, or at least a couple of them have been talked about already. Alan obviously did the Octopath Traveler 2 review. If the one-hour discussion that we had wasn't enough, we have the written review up on the site as well. Uh, James did talk about his Atelier Ryza 3 preview, and I mentioned specifically you're only talking about the PC performance or in the earlier conversation. You mentioned that was kind of a, a very small footnote or not even present in your preview. So I guess here's a chance to speak to any other aspects of Ryza 3 that you feel is in need of calling out before it's released next month. I think it's kind of, well, when I wrote my Ryza 2 review, the, the, like the, the kind of through line throughout, through it was the game was so good after only like a year after Rise of 1 that I really wanted to see what Gus could do with a bit of a longer development cycle for Ryza 3. So naturally, that's happened. It's been two years since Rise of Three, and while Gust still made other games, I'm pretty sure that they have like different teams within Gust, and the Rise of Team has just been working on Rise of Three since uh, 2021 when uh, Rise of Two released. Um, at first, I wasn't sure how major changes were to the game because it's one of those things where it's like it's been a while since I played Rise of One and Two. It's like, oh, is that new or did I just forget about it? One thing that stood out to me, and then I had to go back and make sure I wasn't going crazy, 
was that Rise of 1 and 2, while the world itself was decently big and there was like, you could kind of explore and, and whatnot, there was loading zones. Like you would reach, like head right up to a cave and at the mouth of the cave, you would press a button to transition into the cave or to go out of the cave. Or if there was like some ruins, you'd transition from different parts of the ruins and whatnot. Um, Rise of 3 is with a few exceptions, like only a few is completely open world. Like even some of the same areas from rise of one. And I assume rise of two eventually, because like one of the advertisements is that there's four regions and one of the regions is a rise of one region. And they've shared screenshots that are rise of two areas. It looks like. Yes. Like even the areas that had like loading zones and rise of one, it's just nope, nope, totally seamless. They've even added like extra, like, parts of the geography to like more seamlessly like uh, connect these two areas together and make the world feel like a more seamless experience and it's kind of insane because it's like i mean gus isn't a big company but you'd think that taking what are segmented sections of a world map and then just retrofitting them to make them an open world it couldn't have been easy right <laughs> For me, like whether a game, like a, if it's a new IP, whether it has like wide linear zones or is truly open world, I don't, I feel like I don't, I can take it either way. I don't really have a preference, but the idea of playing the third game in a series and going through like some familiar areas, but now they're connected, seems like that'd be a pretty neat experience to be like, oh, wow, I can go straight from here to here when I couldn't do yeah. that before. Yeah. And definitely like it makes the overall like scope of the game feel a little bit bigger which is something that rise of two already did pretty well with it's like ruined dungeons and whatnot they were all they all had like pretty big scope and whatnot um the major change with rise of three that they've been advertising is the secret key system where you can you have access to the hollow key which you can use during battles to kind of like copy an enemy's attributes to make a key you can then use either to buff yourself in battles or to use while doing synthesis. So for item creation, and it's kind of hard to kind of just explaining it would be a bit difficult, especially if you're not already familiar with uh, rise of one and two, but it's, it's very interesting so far. Like I'm curious to see how it will evolve over time, like how much deeper it can get, but even just from like the opening hours, it's really neat to just have that little extra wrinkle to synthesis. And it's like, oh wow, it's like now it's not just you're not just interested in finding out which materials you can like gather from different parts of the environment, but it's like, oh, what can I get from these different enemies? I find like I find this unique enemy. What can I get from using the like making a key off of them and stuff like that? And then there's like portions of the environment where there might be like magical barriers that require a key of a specific type or a specific attribute to uh, get past and you can use each key a limited number of times so you have to consider okay do you want to use this to buff yourself in battle primarily do you want to use it in synthesis do you want to use it for exploration and uh so on and so forth it's yeah I i've been enjoying my time with it so far obviously limited what i can say from uh the uh, preview but yeah i'm I'm excited to see what the rest of the game is like. Well, it's I, nice. It's nice to see that your expectations based on the fact I had forgotten that Rise of Two came out a year after Rise of One, and you still thought very highly of that. And now with Rise of Three, you it seems like you kind of calibrated your expectations. Be like, all right, now they've had an extra, an extra year. 
did they deliver something even greater? And it sounds like based on your experience so far, the answer is, yeah, they've, they're nailing it again. So it just seems like a very solid trilogy all, all around. A couple other features that are up on the site. This one we'll probably just talk about very briefly because Adam went at length about this game a week or so ago. Uh, he wrote up his review for Labyrinth of Galleria, the Moon Society. This is obviously the uh, NIS dungeon crawler that came out earlier in the month. Adam, I know you've spoken at length about Labyrinth of Galleria. I don't know if you want to kind of staccato anything here with the interview going up on the site. I don't know if this is a bit mean-spirited, but I watched the ending, like the true ending to Galeria, and I was just kind of like, okay, sure. And then I uh, I went on YouTube, and I was like, let me watch the ending to Labyrinth of Refrain again, just to remind myself what it was. And then I started started watching it, and I started crying. I'm like, okay, one of these games had more of an effect on me than the other. So I, I am curious, and I guess maybe spoiler tag this in, in the like podcast thing. How long did it take you to get through that post-game final dungeon? A day. Like how many hours? Like I don't know. Five. Okay, five so hours? when I Okay, it was like when one originally. Yeah, when it came out in Japan, they didn't like used to be that the spawn rate for the elevators was much, much lower. And I was actually talking with a friend of mine in another server where she went through it and she basically found an elevator like once every like seven or ten floors. In the Japanese version, you would probably go like over a hundred floors without finding a single elevator. And it was a lot longer, which I can understand how that would be a slog, but I feel like in my case, it definitely made the catharsis of the ending kind of hit a bit more because it's like, oh no, like the slog was part of it. It's like, you're supposed to feel like you're like beating your head against the wall to get that happy ending. So I don't know. I it's just a thing where I think, I wonder if that's impacted how people feel about the ending, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah. I've been, I've been hearing from a friend that it's like, it like post game. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it's taken him that long to complete either. He completed it. I think earlier, earlier today or yesterday. And he's just, I don't know. He, he's he's pretty frustrated about the the game as a whole too. Um, when it comes to like his experience with refrain, refrain compared to but experiencing gallery, I think a lot of the proc gen stuff really it really made him sour sour on it. Like I don't know. Like this doesn't sound like you know like just to go through like all that struggle to make the ending more worth it. I don't know. It sounds kind of like too much repetition to to be earned. I don't know. It so, doesn't sound kind of enjoyable. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, that's not my place to say because, you know, it's sort of definitely for people who are moment to moment playing it. Say, there's no way you or I will can relate at the moment, Chad, because we, yeah, we, we haven't had that play. experience. I, yeah. I just don't know like how this is like <laughs> better to be going through this mess. So, like, I they hear that like the, the final post game dungeon had like that many <laughs> floors. I won't say how much here, but like, like it's yeah, like, wait, it's not that. much. It's like, oh, oh, oh <laughs> all right, I guess. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, one thing I definitely noticed though is that, like, in the original, like, in the Japanese version, I'm not sure if you ran into this in the uh, in the localization, but once you reach that final dungeon, because of how big it is, like, as you go further and further into it, the types of equipment you can find get stronger and stronger mm -hmm. exponentially to the point where. Once you're at the post-game final dungeon, it's like it doesn't matter what your like soul clarity is for your units, pretty much, because the equipment's gonna matter so much more by then. And yeah, I saw one of the equipment. It was, it was like basically this guy in numbers at that point, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, but it's like I had a friend where she was like, "I can't deal with this final boss," and it's like, "Okay, you said you only went through that final dungeon in about three hours." 
I would just the last couple of floors of that dungeon, just try and gather as much equipment as you can and see if that'll help boost your like units and was enough to push them over the finish line. So it's like, I don't know. Again, I'm not saying it was wrong to change it because objectively it was a slog. Like some people aren't going to be going to be happy with that. Obviously, some people were very upset with it, but I felt like when I played through it, it's like, yes, this is a slog, but it knows it's a slog and it was done deliberately. And I actually kind of respect that because like for the narrative, it feels like it fits better and it maybe it's copium, but I can only talk about my own experience. And I appreciated the fact that it was like, oh, that's ballsy. And you actually went for it. You didn't have to. And it doesn't even feel like padding because the game's already as long as it is. It just was like, no, we're going to do this. And it's like, if you want that happy ending, you better grind for it. I don't know. Oh, it's a, it's a, I think it's a difficult thing to pull off and that that it'll it'll rage wildly very very wildly you people it'll, it'll either hit or it won't you know and if it if it doesn't then it you know a lot of people will sour on that feeling well sometimes when games want to inconvenience the player deliberately some people will appreciate what the like what the outcome is and some people will only it depends not only on the person but on the way the game does presents it yeah whether they see the inconvenience you'll love it yeah. But no, thank you, Adam. Obviously, we have the previous episode of Tetracast where we talk about Galleria at length and Adam's thoughts on it, but we also do have the written thoughts of Labyrinth of Galleria Moon Society up on RPGsite.net. The last feature that we have up on the site before we go into the news is back in December, we held a Final Fantasy series poll. This is something that we've done approximately every five years for maybe i think 15 years now and for i forget exactly when it was when it was first started but we ran the poll again in december of 2022 and compared it to the results that we had at the series 30th anniversary from 2018 right when i believe it was 2018 2018 2017 right after final fantasy 15 had released and the all the results are up on the feature up on the site and these include what the best Final Fantasy title is, what the best Final Fantasy protagonist is, uh, people's the poll respondents' first Final Fantasy, and then a few other things like favorite spinoff series and things like that. I don't know if there's any very clear, specific thing that is worthy of being called out here on the podcast. There's a few obvious ones, like compared to five years ago, Final Fantasy fourteen rated much higher, and I think that's kind of like a very expected outcome based on the reception of Stormblood, Shadowbringers, and Endwalker. Final Fantasy 15 did fall a bit. Final Fantasy 7 is still at the top. Final Fantasy 9 is still at the top three as well. The one thing that I thought in these in-depth results that was the most interesting is that Final Fantasy 6 scored the best for being people's not first Final Fantasy. Let me see how it's exactly worded in the in the article. Where was that? Basically, the number of people, the percentage of people who rated Final Fantasy VI as their favorite had the lowest percentage of them also rating it as their first. Roger. Despite how beloved it is, Final Fantasy VI seems like it is a game that is discovered late. Only 21% of people who said it was their favorite also said it was their first. So basically, the percentage is usually much higher. Yeah, that, relative- that makes some sense, because I feel like 6 is that one game in the series, along with 9, where everyone's like, yeah, this is one of the best ones. So it's like, you get into Final Fantasy, you ask people, hey, which one should I also play? They're like, six, seven, and nine. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and obviously... I think the reason why it's not everyone's first, because if they grew up in the Super Nintendo era, they probably start with four first instead of six. So, you know, it's usually like that. 
So yeah, obviously, you know, this was a you have to consider. You have to consider, like you know, like the whole the way that Final Fantasy was released in the West on the SNES. As, you know, and and this is what I was going to bring up was that this is an RPG site pull for an English facing audience for whatever our demographic is, which I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm assuming mostly older players, so people who started with the games on the PlayStation One era, and might explain why one, two, and three are so far down on the list. Obviously, for an English-speaking audience, so games like 3 probably never stood a chance because those haven't been available officially in English outside of the DS version and the recent Pixel remaster. So, of course, it is a poll that is limited by the conduit in which it was conducted. But and Europe never got Final Fantasy till 7. Oh, well. Yeah. So, so it's like a little bit screwed for, for the results. So, but it is how it is. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean we can still compare like like to like how our poll results from our same website were five years ago versus today, and then look at the re- remaining results in the context of in how the well, all I'm saying it's criminal that Firion was ranked last place in best FF protagonist, even under Vaughn. Oh, come on, come on, come don't, on. Don't what are we doing? Bondor's lies, okay. What are we? What are we doing? <laughs> I just say, as a society, I thought you know our audience was you know. Better than this. <laughs> I mean, like, a, he has to be. A, he is the protagonist. He is the face of that game. If it's not, no, it's not Vaughn. Right. He's, he's a true leading man. Sorry, but you know, Vaughn is the protagonist of that game technically. But you're going to rank him above Furion? Come on. Uh, think by now that enough of our audience would have been conditioned you know. into saga enjoyers. That I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. I feel very, very conflicted about it. I saw that. I'm like, I, you know, times are changing. I guess you know. No, we and, should uh, do the spinoffs. <laughs> no official spinoffs. Oh god, spinoffs would be a fucking uh, shit show, dude. It would be crazy. It I, won't be a shit show. It'll be Final Fantasy Tactics. Will take all the claims of titles. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, it, it gets to the it gets into the weeds of like, what do you consider a spinoff? Why isn't my favorite spinoff that like barely two people have seen, have heard of, understand? You know. Where's Crystal Bear? <laughs> yeah. Where's D- hey, Lail? Was... If we're talking about best Final Fantasy protagonist, where's Lail or Jack? Where's, where's, Jack, uh... yeah. where's Benjamin? That's here's, right. Here's a Where hot tip for me. So the second, the the second place, the first place FF protagonist is Cloud. I don't think that's surprising, especially considering the um, the remasters and remake series that's going on right now. But in second mm-hmm. place was Terra from Final Fantasy VI, and you could also argue like. Who is the protagonist of Final Fantasy VI? Yeah, Terra's on the cover art. Lock who is, more who is the Dissidia representative? That's the only way you yeah. can define that, is who's the Dissidia representative? Oh, wow. I didn't realize that Antoto and Xenos, uh, I guess, are the are the protagonists of That's 11 right. and 14, respectively. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... I was I was watching, so I've played Final Fantasy VI, but it's been like 15 years. I was watching someone else play through the Pixel Remaster because that released in February of last year. And Terra, for like... 70% of the game just lets things happen to her. Like she's very passive. And I think that's kind of what the story is meant to be, but I don't think it makes her a great protagonist. So I, for me, like my hot take is I wouldn't put Terra second on this list because for most of the trying to get yeah, people to, it, to fucking kill us here. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost wrote something up when I finished six in 2021, where it was like, I think the strongest, like, like biggest strength that X actually has is that it doesn't really have a main protagonist, but rather every character feels like the protagonist of their own story that kind of just like work together with some exceptions. 
But Terra, but for the it, most part, early on, is more of a vehicle to tell aspects of the story about the world of the, I forget what they're called, the, the world that her father is from, her her Aeon father. It's not Aeon. I forget, I'm forgetting what the term is in game. That, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, so like, she's a vehicle for talking about that and the uh, the Empire invading that place, you know, 20 years ago and separating her from her family. And then why is she have the ability of the, of the Espers? So she's very good, like story focused character. But as a protagonist, things until like late in the world of ruin just kind of happened to her, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She does like Locke and Edgar and even like Cyan and um, so those three kind of engage and make decisions and drive the story forward for like 60 60 percent of the game. Anyways, for laying out la- recent laments about Terra in this podcast, then my recent lament about Terra is they heavily nerfed her in theatre them final bar line over Curtain Call because in Curtain Call, Terra was one of the best characters in that game because they gave her, they gave her trance in that game and they didn't give her trance in uh, about final bar line, so yeah. she's heavily nerfed back in this kind of scenario. <laughs> so that that was a really 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 good skill to have in that game. Well, that's my recent uh, era lament if we're really laying it all hot here on this podcast. I have a curious question. If they did uh, a best Tales of Games for poet by the Western fans. It would be a rise right now, I think. I, I think I think a rise would be up on top because that's the recent one and it was well well received and people seem to like it. I think I think a rise and point flip between Vesperia and Symphonia for well, some I think. They did this not too long ago. It was before a rise, but I remember they split up the uh, like the different regions of what who, who, who was the favorite in each region. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. March 2021. Yeah. I remember that Tales of Zestiria was the mo- most popular in Europe. Europe. Yeah. Europe. What are you doing? Because there, there was the first one, I, or the first, or one of the first that, re- that released day and date on PC. Yeah. And also yeah. had all the languages. So. And uh, yeah, e- e- figs. Yeah. But so, yeah. Um, Arise was also this. It wasn't favorites. It was like sales. So. Oh. But uh, translates to the favorites, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so not quite like a fan poll, but North America, Tales of Symphonia and Vesperia were one and two, which makes sense. And then Europe, it's Zestiria and then Symphonia. So <laughs> if, we, if we ran a favorite Tales of series poll, would you include the mobile games or not in it? No, because <laughs> there's like seven of them. Five of them are dead. Oh, a lot of luck. <laughs> I can't wait for Tales of Crystoria and Luminaria to be the top two. Okay, very well beloved by the Western audience for sure. I was thinking that I, I was going to say that Arise has sold better than the other ones, but it's at two million, which is about where like Vesperia is. Though I guess for Vesperia, I mean, Vesperia had the advantage of uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So like, so I think Tales yeah, of Arise has probably has sold yeah. the most in a single in a single package. It's probably going to be a sale like the best, like moving forward too, in terms of like as time goes on, mm-hmm. you know, it'll probably over overtake all the other Tales games in terms of like best selling. But I, you know, I mean, like, it's like generally speaking, I think a lot of people, uh, because um, somewhat because of recency bias, like I think Arise would probably rank, if not first, very high, very high on that. But yeah, and then as for the Final Fantasy poll results, they're up on the site as. The best Final Fantasy games revealed. That's one of Alex's like very Google friendly headlines, but it's the results of a poll held on our site. Don't that's all it is. All right, we go into the news section. Most of these we've already touched on, at least the major things, though we did have one announcement of a new MMO. First of all, I say new. I don't know like if this MMO has already been like formally announced in a in a smaller context, but it's from NCSoft and Amazon. 
publishing Throne of Liberty coming in North America, Europe, and Japan. It's a console-based MMO for PS5, Xbox series, but also on PC. And we got a new announcement trailer for it, as well as a director preview. Though, I, I took a look at this, Adam, and I know you're the so one that put it up on... Real quick, just small clarification. This is one of those games that was actually announced like a year ago. This is pretty common for these Korean MMORPGs where they get announced and then they kind of just go silent for a while because MMOs take a long time to make and then they kind of re-reveal them. So like, I think that announcement trailer that I linked in the post is actually from like last March or something oh, okay. like a year ago. But in Amazon, so Amazon more recently, just in the last week, made the announcement that they're going to localize this. And not just for America and Europe, but also Japan. It didn't have any additional trailer or media or screenshots even. So I just grabbed what NCSoft had already released. Like, here's a trailer before. Amazon made this announcement. They didn't give any sort of date. They did say it's planned for consoles, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series, and PC. So all consoles modern you know next gen modern gen consoles but otherwise you know we just know they're bringing it but we don't have any like hard dates or details pricing or anything like that no thank you for the clarification because i saw your two embedded uh, youtube links here in the news post but i didn't check what when their dates were the thing about this is that I, I took a look at both the trailer and a little bit of the director's preview and they look fine they look interesting they look vaguely generic western high fantasy and but it's all action shots very little if any ui is shown or ux it's all just cinematics and combo like video footage i so think like, chow and i are thinking the same exact thing when we see this uh, story what's chow, that? chow whoa, whoa, whoa. you know what i'm thinking right yes it's a korean mmo <laughs> gonna be a disaster <laughs> all of them a terrible experience with ion you know what happened? i knew chow was gonna break up ion <laughs> Uh, Adam was saying that didn't someone reply to the headline like Amazon and NC Soft keep it away. Yeah, it it, it, someone someone quote tweeted our tweet about this with like the mean image of the kid with like the cross, like banishing <laughs> evil. He's like Amazon and NC Soft. You know what? They're not wrong. They're spitting. <laughs> yeah, I would never touch MMO if it has a Korean associated with. Okay. No, Ooh. it's not racist. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, I is that better? sensibilities. Korean publisher. I would never touch it again. <laughs> You're just going to get scammed from their pay to win model, and that would be the end. Oh, child. <laughs> Spicy. Such a way of words. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't let me finish. Well,. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, independent of who is publishing, whenever I see this, especially the fact that it doesn't have a date or a window, and now I'm learning after the fact that the footage that I am seeing wasn't even accompanying this Western and Japanese publishing announcement, I'm just like, okay, well, I'm sure I'll see this again in five years. I remember when Crimson Desert was announced as like a new console and PC-based MMO, still not still haven't, you know, it's it's gone dark. Blue Protocol obviously went dark for forever until it came back uh, in the game awards last year ashes of creation i remember was a game that i was interested in like five years ago and it's still just doing like it's turning away it's alphas and betas and it's i guess it's still developing but i've kind of like lost interest because it's taken so long so i'm gonna like all right throne and liberty got some footage up on the site from some of the uh from the initial announcement a, a year or so back and maybe we'll see more about it who knows when we'll see more about it probably not this year just based on the pace of what we've seen amazon do with other their other publishing deals who knows 
I think all of the rest of these news posts are no. Okay, we do have one sales update. As of the time of recording, I believe today is February 25th, the one year anniversary of Elden Ring. So let me let me double check that on my calendar just to make sure that I'm not stating that, that incorrectly. That sounds right. All right. And mm -hmm. also uh, this week we did get a sales update. Surprise, Elden Ring has continued to sell incredibly well. It has hit the 20 million unit mark. And I've seen plenty of people already compare this to obviously from software's previously best-selling game, Dark Souls 3, took something like four or five years to reach the 10 million sales mark. Not the numbers exactly, but basically, Elden Ring is easily from software's fast, fastest, highest, best-selling game. That's, that's a Dark lot of that's a lot of money to put into Armored Core yeah, Six. Yeah, I like, I had a buddy of mine before, like um, before Elden Ring came out, where we kind of had like not an argument, but a discussion about like is like the Soul series like properly mainstream? And then like after like Elden Ring came out, we just like, came back to that argument and just like. Yeah, no, definitely now. <laughs> oh, it actually looks like I had it right. Yeah, Dark Souls 3, 10 million copies in about four years. Elden Ring, 20 million copies in one year. So that's what we're looking at. Oh, you know, it's looking good for an Armored Core 6. Uh, that was 20 million units in six months, and 19 million of them are a lot of angry people being like, what the fuck is this? I still like, I know I brought it up when Armored Core 6 was announced, but I still like that tweet about, if you want to get into Armored Core, here's where you can play everything. And it's like <laughs> no, nothing on PC, nothing on a modern console. You better have a PS3 hooked up. That's the only way you're going to play anything. I like the meme better. The one with uh, Keeley, where, where he's like saying like the old hardcore was complete trash. Oh, yeah. I saw that, one. that was good. <laughs> that was good. Wait, did I, you I say that? I, I didn't actually fact check it. I didn't fact check if it was like an actual real article that Keely wrote, but I could totally. I, I was willing to believe it. I don't know. I, if I, 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 I he was it. trashing on Armor Core Free, saying this is like oh, it's like he was sick and tired of mech games, and now he's like <laughs> hyping and the Armor Core is like the biggest, like the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, like, that's I, awesome. Never hear about Armor Core Three. Like Armored Core Two had several different versions, which I know people like, and then Armored Core Four and Four Answer I know people like, but Three I just like don't know. Three is a weird uh, entry for a lot of people because a lot because at the time like Three came out, like there was already a lot of fatigue over like the yeah, just uh, how often Armored Core games are being released. I remember when I was in high school. It's a um, good game, but. Or yeah, high school when like this was like in the middle like just before the PS3 era and there was like a million yeah, dating us yeah. yeah I know <laughs> but I remember we were just like Armored Core is this series that refuses to number itself sequentially because there's just like seven different subtitles and now we're finally at Armored Core three like okay yeah like I like it like it's like ninth game pretty much yeah it's uh oh I can't wait to for them to show more of that whenever I need I need it I need it fuck everyone else I need it. Okay, all the rest of these are all release dates. So I'm just mm -hmm. going to go in these. I believe I've got them in chronological order. We have Meg's Monsters. Sorry, Meg's Monster is launching on March 2nd for Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC. Uh, I, this is, I hope this is a good game. Yeah, is, you played the demo of this, right? No, I, I reported oh. on like the announcement of it, and like oh, okay. I got an idea of like what kind of game it is, and it has a pretty interesting like concept of like you you your your kind of main quote unquote rpg party member is like this little girl and there's like this monster that's defending this girl and this like this monster is basically invincible but like you try to make sure that uh, the girl behind you doesn't cry because if he cries like the world like explodes and the monsters will try to like scare her and make her cry 
So it's your job as the monster defending her to not make her cry, <laughs> pretty much. Interesting, interesting uh, approach to battle systems, I guess. And it's got a very uh, Earthbound Mother-esque art style as well, which is always kind of mm. fun. Also in March, we are getting Last Spell, which is releasing for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Nintendo Switch, and PC. Uh, this is from uh, Arcade Crew Publisher. I don't know the developer, CCCP. Uh, sure if this is their debut title uh, or not. It says in the in the press release, developer Ishtar Games, and the actual thing. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe our, our, our game sidebar thing does, needs to be updated. But yeah, correct. It says Ishtar Games. Uh, this is a uh, tactical RPG, so isometric. has a little bit of RTS sort of elements to it as well. I think it's been out in early access for quite a bit now. Yeah. So I, I hear decent things about it. Yeah, the uh, it's got 6,000 reviews since its early access release in 2021, sitting at 91% positive. So seems to be hopefully a successful story for them so far. And we'll see if their 1.0 release ends up kind of bringing even a little bit more notoriety to their game. I just, I just double checked. The studio was called CCCP, and they renamed themselves to Ishtar. Mm, okay. uh, so b- both things were correct. It was probably CCCP when it was released in early access. When that's our, a weird, our that's a weird like name change. <laughs> I wonder what's like the, the what's the reasoning and like why it had to be changed, and then uh, like why Ishtar Games? I guess <laughs> Ishtar is the goddess of something, right? Oh yeah, it's a Russian goddess. Best girl in goddess. Cross Two. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were saying. Love and sexual love. So <laughs> everyone loves that. Yes. Ever, guys, Macross 2 is not canon. I thought okay, you were going to no. say, I thought you were going to say best character like Yu Gi Oh or something, because I think there's a character named Ishtar in there as well. Fairy Fencer F Refrain Chord is going to be releasing on April 25th in North America and Europe. Uh, this is obviously a re-release of Fairy Fencer F, which originally released. Well, uh, no. not quite a re-release. Oh, it's, not quite. It's an entirely new game. It's like a tactical RPG. I believe the developer is Sting. Yeah, it's Sting. So, yeah. unfortunately, that mean, means I'm actually interested in playing it. So it's okay. Still didn't realize that it wasn't actually on review sheets. So I'm adding it. Sting released the thing that I cared about, which is Idra Union on PC. I think that'll be the Sting game that I play. Uh, I don't know if I... I don't know. Look, the only thing you know about this game is that it's a... One, it's a strategy RPG now. Two, it dropped off the face of the earth as soon as it released in Japan, and no one ever talked about it. So I have no idea what 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 is this game after... Like, when it comes to, like, reception, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, this... Well, I don't know if there's anyone out there that could even say anything, because I remember when this release, it didn't even like hit the top 30 on its launch. And this is a Switch game. Which is so, doing insane numbers in Japan still. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how it is. I'm interested. I guess one neat thing about it is they also announced the limited edition. And uh, normally I wouldn't say anything about that, because like companies like Idea Factory... And uh, NIS, obviously, they do limited editions for damn near everything. This is neat because one of the editions for, like, one of the included things for the limited edition is actually a music book that is filled with actual sheet music, I'm assuming for piano, of some of the game's songs, which is like, hey, that's actually really, like, neat and and probably, like, a cheaper thing to do because it's like you just have to print the sheet music and it's like, it's a little, like, soft cover booklet it's like yeah honestly for any games that have like music as like a forefront i think more companies should do that that's actually really cool 
hopefully it's like actually like like a format in a way that's like very easy to use like for pianists it looks like it's in the standard form factor okay. that people use okay. like i i took like like mm-hmm. over a decade of piano lessons i i need to get a new keyboard but yeah also one of one of these uh, press release bullet bullets is fff tactics question mark exclamation point i wonder if we're going for going for anything there mm. Mm. i think i did make a goof because this next this next news bullet is a release date but it's also an announcement this is for a new game from nipponichi this is only currently announced for japan it is a supernatural school rpg called and i hope i pronounce this right zikatrice zikatrice Zikatrice, probably. Zikatrice, X-I-C-A-T-R-I-C-E. It's like a French word for something, so I honestly don't know how to Zikatrice. So Zikatrice is a French word, sometimes used in English also as like a loan word. It's literally like, and you can see like almost immediately where like the metaphor comes from here. It's the healing tissue of skin over a scar is what it is. So why would you name a game that? (laughs) So I don't know. know. Sounds like a sounds like a light novel title. Well. Clearly, one of the themes of the game is that these characters are emotionally scarred and they are healing. Yeah, so this is a supernatural school RPG set to release for PlayStation 4 and 5 and Switch on June 29th in Japan. But in this game specifically, it's from the point of view of a teacher of a class of students who have awakened their supernatural abilities. Uh, talks about the, in the press release and the trailer for it. How- Students have a, a huge list of skills. You go through lesson plans with them. So it's kind of like it's got a similar vibe and theme as a lot of games that we've seen. But f- that twist of the perspective of, you know, almost like the Academy part of the uh, Iron Emblem is what I initially think of when I when I look at this about the lesson. Yeah, plan there's like a, simu- like a simulation element of sorts on your like giving up like like lesson plans to students. It's kind of like a lot of menu vomit, frankly, but, but I assume it makes sense when you're playing it. If a student cannot face and overcome their emotional scars, they may be swallowed by their own power. If you fail to empathize with your students, it can end tragically. So, however, yeah. if you encounter a bad ending or achieve a certain condition, you may get a bonus to continue the game more favorably in a second playthrough. It's kind of interesting. I don't know. Might be cool. I I need to see it in action. I guess. I think I think the the biggest disconnect I had was when I saw like this game's like artwork and characters. Like, oh, that's cool. And then when I actually saw screenshots of like what the battle system looks like it's like it looks like a mobile game i know that's almost disparaging but that's it, yeah it's like a, it's like a first person view except like your characters have chibi models that take up like the four corners of a screen and then like they kind of attack the monster through that view lens it's very weird i, I yeah, don't need to they see look like casual lane models too <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know i, I don't know what to make of this we find out who like the actual developer is or is just this niece might just be niece i know, okay. I know they, they do some just kind of random development yeah. stuff okay like, thought they were just publishing sure. or just they were developing too okay uh, yeah i don't know we okay i guess who knows I mean, they're yeah. trying to find their next big thing besides the sky so uh, the seven students work in a group known as the route reserve against unusual abnormalities unit i wonder if that worked better in japanese <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I didn't do that part in my write-up because it. I was just confused what that meant. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. looking at the artwork, I think this is the same like team that did the Criminal Girls games. Maybe just it- based off the user interface and whatnot, because it's like, oh, that looks sim- similar. Never actually played those for obvious reasons, but I did see some screenshots back in the day, and it's like, oh, that the way the party is laid out 
does remind me of it. I'm kind of liking this monster design. It kind of reminds me of the monsters that we saw in Scarlet Nexus. I was thinking too. <laughs> That's kind of fun. I don't know if I like the battle UI with the four corners and the chibi representation, but the monster concept art is it's pretty neat. It's a cicatrice. All right. Yeah, coming out in the summer in Japan, and I'm guessing we'll be able to see it. I think Adam always typically says that NIS America will localize this at some point. We just don't the know. Only, the only games that NIS America seems to skip out on that are from like their parent company or some of like the visual novel type games, usually anything else they'll, they'll get eventually. And they even do do some of the novels, visual stuff. So We talked very recently about the announcement of the Atelier, Re- Atelier Marie remake. It's actually kind of hard to say. Atelier Marie remake, The Alchemist of Salberg. Uh, now have a release date for it. This is going to release on July 13th for... PlayStation 4 and 5, Switch and PC. This is the remake that has the art style that a lot of people compare to like the Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl sort of chibi models. So this was only announced at the uh, Nintendo Direct, you know, earlier in the month, but now we got the release date of July 13th worldwide, including the PC day and date. Yeah. There's an interesting thing with this one that I should really follow up and clarification on. And Josh probably knows about the Japanese state of the game. So in the English special edition let me let me look up the way they phrase it this is phrased very poorly i yeah, think i i uh, agree with you i just reread it and i had to like i still i'm still confused sorry give me a second yeah no problem all right so they're they're, they're detailing the special edition Poe tecmo also announced today that a special atelier miri remake alchemist of salberg digital deluxe edition will also be available at launch this includes all the content in the DLC of the base game, along with Atelier Marie Plus content, an extra BGM pack, and the Another Look costume set. Like, wait a minute. Zoom back in on that. Atelier Marie Plus content? What is that? And it seems like it might just be the original release of Atelier Marie Plus just as a bonus. <laughs> and that game never released in English. So yeah, I was only in Japan. localizing an old PlayStation game for the first time that you can play it. The original version? Is that what it is? Yeah. If that's the case, I wouldn't just call it, quote, original Atelier Marie Plus content. Like, I would actually, yeah. like, like put that more to a focus and actually, like, put out footage on that, that you're doing that, because that's actually, like, also a big deal, you know? Like, that's weird. That That's a weird footnote on that. Like, even on the trailer, it says, it just shows Digital Deluxe Edition and then just, like, that, like, the cover of that. And it's just like, what do you mean by this? <laughs> now, did, I, I'm going to be honest. When they announce this stuff in Japan, I don't really pay attention to it because I know, like, okay, Koei Techno is going to announce it in the West, like, in 12 hours. Yeah. But, so this, so the, did they detail it anymore in Japan? Like, it is just the original game. I that was the impression that I got. Like, when they announced it in Japan, I didn't actually no. really like look, super look forward, like, zoom into it and be like, hey, what? Now, what obviously, mean? the interesting part here is that this game was not ever officially released in English, so this yeah. would have to be a new translation. It had to be like unless, yeah, it'd be, it'd be localization of like two games. Then, if that this is like the case, unless like unless maybe like the dialogue between the two games is literally one to one, maybe. Yeah, so I no, I no it's idea. possible. Like, um, I don't know. Maybe like. Gus has been better about like retaining their like older assets. Maybe they were able to maybe this remake is just straight up the same script, in which case that might be why they're able to. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But hey, you know what? Well, I hope it's like just the original game, like preserved like that. That'd be actually be very, very cool. Yeah, I would love to see that. Just that, 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 that I would just be celebrating. Hey, like 
fucking old ass games that never got localized getting released like on, on top of like all the 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 two uh, the sequels to uh yeah we were just talking about rhapsody rhapsody yeah it's like it's just cool when these like games are like 20 years old or more never got an official release finally get a second chance it's just that's just that's just cool right it's cool Right. People, more people should fucking do it. God damn you it. Know, you know what? You know what? Hopefully this is a good port because I would like nothing more than to the end of this like character arc of this entire like uh, podcast where it's like, man, the industry needs to be better about PC ports and respecting their legacy. Gus coming coming out of here, coming out from the shadows, just being like, we can do both. <laughs> okay. What if, what if at the Ta- Atelier Marie remake PC port, fine, no stutters, but the original version, the Natalia Marie PC, stutters everywhere. <laughs> and we just get the best of both worlds. <laughs> that, that way we could praise and complain about it at the same time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, it's coming out on July 13th worldwide. One thing we haven't talked about yet, this whole podcast, near, nearing the three hour mark, that there was a PlayStation State of Play this last week. However, there just there wasn't a lot to chew on from that uh, from that event, especially for our site's purview, except for there's just one next news post, and that is that was we got a launch date for Baldur's Gate three it is going to be coming out on August thirty first for PlayStation five and PC. Obviously, yeah. it's been it's been in early access I think since twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. It's been in early access for a while. I remember I actually played and put up a video on my early access playthrough of it, and then we already knew that it was gonna it was slated for August. So this is just dialing in on August thirty first. During the state of play, there was also a release date reveal trailer, which is about you know two minutes of new footage and some some gameplay. And then as a follow up to this, obviously people are wondering, is this a, a Sony console exclusive then on PC and and just on PlayStation. Well, actually, uh, Arian did follow up and sent out a, a new press release talking about that they are or have been investigating an Xbox version. And I actually do kind of like how candidly this is uh, this is stated. So I might just read this verbatim. Uh, let's see. Thanks for all the hype and enthusiasm following yesterday's announcement of Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 3 coming to PS5. Uh, Xbox players, we've seen your questions about when and if you can expect Baldur's Gate 3 on Xbox. We've had an Xbox version of Baldur's Gate 3 in the works for some time, but I've run into some technical issues, particularly with split-screen co-op. We are still working on an Xbox version of Baldur's Gate 3, but we are not yet confident enough to announce it. We don't like announcing anything until it's ready, and so on, and it goes on from there. Uh, We've reported this on the site if you want to see the the full statement. So I do just like how candid that is. They're saying, nope, this isn't a publishing deal. Uh, Just we have the two versions of PC of the PlayStation 5 version we're confident in, and they're still hoping and working on an Xbox version yeah. as well. Reading yeah. reading between the lines, it's kind of hard to see it as anything else than they don't want to say it, but we are having trouble getting split screen, split screen working on uh, Series S. I can, I can see that, yeah. But, you know, but, but, like but, the reduced RAM, like that would be like especially an issue with like split screen because you... Mm-hmm. It's like you're basically rendering the game twice. Yeah, it's at a lower resolution, but it's like, let's say you're in two entirely different parts of the map. It's like, oh, you have to render like you have to load stuff into memory for two different areas. And it's like, oh, no, suddenly that's a problem. Yeah, they were the new the new trailer for the for Baldur's Gate 3. It's like a, it looked really, really awesome in that state of play. Like they showed off, you know, the console interface for the first time there and they showed off the split screen co-op in action and just like for straight up. Hey. One of the players and the uh, one half of the split screen just be in a battle, and the other just randomly randoming around the world, just like doing their own thing. It's like it's actually like true 
split screen co-op in the sense that like you can just be doing two different things at two different places. You don't have to be like stuck together like in the same screen or the same battle. It's like you can just do a fuck off and just do your own thing, which is you know always that's fun. Not, that's that's like the perfect type of co-op. Like yeah. co-op especially, but even split screen or even online, just you know, there are a lot of games where like you have to battle at the same time, you have to explore in the same zone or whatever. So you're kinda like tied together. Whereas do whatever you want, go in whatever direction. Um, I know this is a, a weird, a very weird comparison, but I was actually playing the new, the recent Lego game with my brother, and it's huh? sort of similar that you can just be kind of off doing whatever you want in two different that's sections. Some of, the, some of the, like all the Star Wars, right? Yeah, the big Star Wars one. But it's yeah. in general, just having like a co-op game where you can play together but kind of do your own thing is just like the perfect type of co-op. Yeah, game. yeah, that's that's always a, a lot of fun. It's like, hey, check out what the fuck I'm doing. It's like you're being freaking crazy, dude. But yeah. I- Really excited now that this getting out of early access. Full game is coming. It's looking very, very promising. I'm very excited. It does have a little one of those like Mimi kind of edition tables where it's like there's the base game, the deluxe edition, and the collector's edition, and all that comes with, and all the different yeah, like uh, in game and all the in game items that you get. Some of them are like based on divinity. Items and, yeah, a lot of it's like like the, it seems like the rest of the stuff is, like just like it's non essential. Like there's there's like you're not being locked out of like any like seems like gameplay content. It's like picking up the base game by itself. It doesn't seem like any of the additions like lock you out of like any gameplay stuff from what I saw or glanced at. Yeah, so like there's some of these items are like Cape of the Red Prince, who is the the lizard character from from Divinity Original Sin Two. You get his cloak, you get Lois's loot, you get Sebel's dagger, other things like that. Yeah. Man, if I had infinite time, I want to replay Original Sin Two. I, I love that game a lot, but it's just it's like 120 hours long. <laughs> a long game, but it, it it's finally got a date. Hell yeah, dude! Finally, and I know that you know we we talk about this frequently when Baldur's Gate 3 come up in the news been in early access for a while now and they have been adding a ton to it including like you know a bunch of new classes like I think when I first played it I think there were five options and I think there's like eight or nine now and I, I'm curious like basically there's certain people who already know exactly like how act one plays out like to a T for, for that game but hey the the early access has worked really well for Larian for both divinity mm-hmm. games so I'm I'm sure that they've got you know they've got kind of like their their cadence down to a science for the release Yeah of, they, they they've had the right mindset and the like the, the right like path to it like they've always kept the community in the loop and always being and this is what we saw right now with the Xbox we're like always being very transparent transparent with like just everyone as a whole it's like hey this is what we're doing this is like the issues that we're running into this is the features that we're working on you know it's there larian studios has always been just a very respectable developer in that sense it's like just they, they have the right like approach to it all i do feel my last comment on this is that i did interview sven vink i hope i pronounced that right the last e3 before everything got shut down and he was really excited for releasing this game on stadia so <laughs> <laughs> let's go i wonder how much money they got for that <laughs> so unfortunately uh things happen i forget did they did, did they mention if the playstation 5 uh, pc are crossplay or not i didn't actually go check hopefully they're cross save at least because i know that divinity original sin 2 is cross save between switch and pc well no switch and uh scene very mm. specifically i know that i have it on on gog and uh no cross save there unfortunately yeah i actually haven't checked if the Looking at the press release now, it doesn't seem to mention it. Might have been mentioned in maybe some tweet or something, but the press release doesn't seem to mention it. Okay. Uh, I found an old article from 2020. Uh, this is on Game Rant. 
uh, new cross save feature, blah, blah, blah. This will let players transfer their save across Steam, GOG, and Google Stadia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, of course, I, think funny, I think what's funny about the Xbox release is that the quote that people were bringing up when they got when they were upset about this was Sven at one time said, we're not playing the exclusivity game. And I just think the funny thing about that is that that original quote was specifically for like Stadia. Like, no, we're not going to be exclusive to Stadia. We're not playing the, the we're not playing the exclusivity game with Stadia. It's like, well, good. I guess it's also uh, you know one one final mention just for PS5 players. If you um, uh, pre-ordered the collector's editions, uh, uh, it includes a seventy-two hours early access of Act One of Baldur's Gate Three. Every game yeah. does that these days. Like I know that, watch. like I know that, like like a Dragon Ishin had the same thing. I know, like Sega does that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Sega loves to do that. Like like a Dragon Ishin is like it's kind of weird because it's just pre-ordering. It was just pre-ordering the. It was weird. Digital, it was pre-ordering. Yeah. yeah, it's pre-ordering the digital edition. Just even if it's like the base digital edition, if you before it went on sale, like before it was available, you could get early access to that. But once it became available during that early access period, then you had to. Get purchase that digital deluxe. deluxe during that early access period if you wanted to if you wanted to still go into that early access period which is fucking stupid but like okay whatever and then like and, and they tried to I tried, they did the same thing with like smt3 nocturne which is like very weird <laughs> like hey if you go purchase the super expensive edition of like this 20 year old game or whatever you can get to play it earlier it's like okay <laughs> been out if you know but it's been out <laughs> So yeah, and, and, and I don't know. I'm not really a biggest the biggest fan of the practice, but I, I admittedly have bought into the practice, like with Dio Field and Valkyrie Elysium as well, because it was because we didn't get like or Valkyrie Elysium because we didn't get review code for that beforehand. So I did the early access to at least try to crank out the review ASAP for that. And Dio Field was just because I don't know fucking Dio Field. And the very last plan I have here is, uh, this is a very small one, Caligula Effect Overdose is coming to PlayStation 5 at some point in 2023. I was talking to Adam about this before the podcast. It's already on PlayStation 4, so it's already playable on PlayStation 5, but this is just the announcement of a native PS5 version of the game. Yeah, I think... This, was it... Was it... Is this an yes. NES announcement? Yeah. It is? That makes sense. Because yeah. I know they've done that for a number of games now. Like, just yeah. recently did it for Labyrinth of Galleria, even though I don't think there's... Like, I think it was already 4K60 if you played it on PS4 Pro. Yeah, so, they, they, they're doing this like they did this with East 8 and East 9. So, like, you know, I think they're just, uh, that's just kind of uh, their, their next strategy is like, hey, to get additional, additional source of, like, revenue. Yeah, like, and, I, and I do know that, like... Uh, and. I, mentioned them in the past but like annie hawk on like reset era has mentioned and he's like got insider information is all i'll say but he says that the main idea is is that releasing a game on ps5 ensures that they'll be like displayed more prominently in places like not just like gamestop but like best buy and whatnot so it's like yes you can play those games on like ps4 games on ps5 but eventually it's like well you want them to be in the ps5 section so people that don't necessarily care about buying ps4 games even if they can play them are like exposed to those games like randomly which i guess makes some sense yeah yeah i wonder how effective that strategy is in the long run like i i do wonder like how many additional sales they get out of that uh, from that approach like i I'm not, I'm not doubting them of course i'm just saying like i wonder how effective it is 
Like, and you ought to wonder, like, how, like, like, I'm sure the APIs are similar enough between PS4 and PS5, not to mention the architectures are basically, like, with some exception, like, almost the same. It's just, like, it's just stronger. I want someone to test out putting one of these PS5 discs into a PS4. What, what happens? You know, are they... Are- and it's like PS5 versions or native PS5 versions, so it won't work. But it's like I do, I do I do want, I do want some like the the exceptions. I don't know where just like someone just like some slips up and it's like oh we're actually just repackaging the PS4 disc as a PS5. I got to know. Oh, weird. But hey, you know what? I guess I guess this means eventually down the line we'll see Caligula 2 as a native PS5 you know release. Right? Did I get a PS5 release already or no? Caligula 2? So. Yeah. I'm not sure. Let's take a look. Like, I'm pretty sure it didn't. I never, I can't keep up. Doesn't look like it, no. Okay, so expect the, expect the only the, thing is it came out to PC, it came to PC a little later. Right. And, and uh, that, that's that, not even from NAS America. That was just from Historia, the developer. Yeah. Oh, God. That, okay, that, I was getting fucked up because the developer of Caligula Effect Overdose is Aquaria, and I guess Historia is for Caligula. Yeah, the the Caligula games have different developers. Oh, God. <laughs> but they're both Furyu published in Japan and NAS America published in the West. Where's uh, Caligula 3 and or the Caligula 2 anime adaptation, I guess. That's the, that's the next phase of this Caligula progress. And they make a Cold Steel 4 anime. I mean, that's already airing. It's already a Cold no. Steel anime, but it's not. It's not. That's not four. I think it's not Cold Steel four. I want four specifically. I don't know why you want four so badly, child. Go finish your Cold Steel four guide, so I can deal with this curse in real life. Yeah, child, you need to finish your Cold Steel four guide. Well, he's I mean, working on his we sure so guide. Much, well, yeah, but you only have so much time before you have to start working on the Reverie guide. You gotta, you gotta go quick. It's after this, after you finish the Bravely Default two guide, by the way. No. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at my Azure guy, I'm like, how the hell do I even write this? It's so fucking long. Around the corner, dude. It's next month. What's next month? Oh, Azure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, uh, Adamari. Well, and that, uh, that covers us for this episode of the podcast now that we're into the third hour or right at the third hour. Uh, so, not a lot of news, but we got a lot of good discussion out of both new games like Octopath Traveler 2 and Redemption Reapers, and then apparently a very a pretty long, interesting discussion about the uh, the state of PC ports or even just like Switch ports for surprising new patches and games. State that of video released. games. Yeah, yeah. The, I like that. <laughs> the, the state of video games. Yeah, so all those features that we talked about are up on the site. The major ones, including the Final Fantasy poll results, the Octopath Traveler 2 review, the Labyrinth of Galleria review, uh, James's Atelier Rise 3 review, or sorry, preview are all up on the site, as well as all the the news and the updated release dates are all incorporated into the RPGs of 2023 calendar that Adam does a really good job of keeping up to date. Uh, you can find RPG site on all the social media platforms. You can find us by just searching for RPG site on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, you can join our Discord by hitting the link at the top of our homepage, going to discord.gg slash RPG site, or I believe the link should be below most all of our recent video uploads on YouTube for our TetraCast podcast as well. Uh, and we'll be back next week. It'll be our first podcast in the month of March already. And I forget, is Wolong releasing before that date or does it come out right after? Let's see, so that'll be March, uh, March 4th. Wolong comes out on March 3rd. All right, so maybe we'll be able to talk about Wolong next week. We'll see if that comes to be. 
But until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. We'll talk to you guys later. I'm all longing. <laughs> <laughs>